24 hours a day, seven days a week. Spice FM, 98.8 FM. Who doesn't like a little bit of George Harrison on a Friday afternoon at Medley Sound right here on Space FM, 98.8 FM? If I was watching a bit of George Harrison last night, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, on, on some like documentary on the Beatles, yeah. Just like what they did after they split. It's almost as if we talked to each other yeah. before the show. <laughs> <laughs> we actually didn't talk about that, so that was actually just a nice little bonus. Mm. Um, but yeah, welcome everyone to Mentally Sound uh, here on Spies FM 98.8 FM. If that was uh, George Harrison with all those years ago, 
Um, and we are here till 2pm to talk about all mental health. Um, hence the title, Mentally Sound. Um, so this is your first time listening. We do a disclaimer right at the beginning of the show before we have a nice chin wag about what we've been up to. Is to say that we talk about potentially taboo subjects um, some discriminatory uh, subjects from, from our disorders that me and Ricky both have to um, guests who talk about you know charities and serv- uh, the, the service that they provide and you know, we, we like to think of ourselves as a little bit of a signpost show mm-hmm. um, to offer um, opportunities for people to get better and recover and um, we often joke if you come into the studio we should have just a big lights with prevention just mm-hmm. flashing endlessly because we're a big fan of prevention. It's interesting actually because uh, I often talked about a few conversations with people about mentally sound and I often use the word signpost and show but we've, we've kind of evolved being to be that haven't we it was, I don't think it was the original criteria I think that's a very good point um, I think that was its original intent mm. um, in terms of and that was uh, I, I'm willing to say because we've been on the air a long time now that was that was my board of frustration at the beginning right. because I, I didn't think um you know, just basically becoming a list show of like going, you know, these events are happening means that yeah, there's no yeah. character, there's yeah, no character exactly. to the show and there's mm-hmm. no opinions and you're like, you know, basically like a listening post mm-hmm. where you're just like, you know, letting people know what's going on. Yeah. Um, I, I believe in shows being more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so yeah that was my board of frustration right at the beginning um of just you know going like this thing's on and this next person's going to come on to to tell them and rather than what we do now where we have conversations with people yeah which is far more interesting um that yeah that we just didn't get the opportunity to to do that and they would just be like well this is happening this is happening please come right our next guest is um but the, you know, the, so. to add further point to to what i was saying just then i think um Given what's going on out there, where be it cuts and and services being strained, mm-hmm. uh, the groups out there are there for a reason. And you know, th- there were groups when I do research. There were the groups and people there that I didn't know, need, even know about. Yeah. And I, I always thought I was someone who kept a re- relatively good ear to the ground and what's going mm-hmm. on. But I'm I'm constantly finding new people, new. Pl- groups that are doing uh, good stuff out there and it's needed because which is the the beauty of this show i yeah. i generally think i mean um as i as i said to your to your good self because i've been working at the university this week right. um helping out and um yeah one of the things that i i, I wanted to talk about there to help out with their course is to say that um um about mentally sound one of the huge advantages of doing this show is that it, it just it, it it adds to my um you know my uh, uh, background knowledge mm. of all the stuff particularly in the northeast that's taken place and obviously you're a huge proprietor of that because you boot the guests and you're a lot more aware of it than i am but the fact that we get to sit here and talk about such wide-ranging subjects which is why i i encourage people who may be listening to this for the first time is to check out all the podcasts that we've yeah. done already mm-hmm. um because we've been around for a good few years now mm-hmm. um and yeah, even like I say, just touching on the old ones, there's some good content even in the old ones. Yeah. I'm just saying the way that it was run was particularly, you know, the, the the way that we structured the show at the beginning was a little frustrating because I've been the host since the beginning. Um, and I do think our show now is unbelievably well thought out, but, but that's took up me, me and you in particular um, a great deal of, of effort. Um, so yeah, if you, anyone wants to get in touch, I always forget to say this, and I'm, so I'm glad I've remembered. If you want to um, talk to me or Ricky about anything or any of the guests that are coming up, I'm going to um, reel off the list now because we have a jam-packed show as always. Um, it's at underscore mentally sound. I have this on my computer right now. If anyone wants to tweet us, um, we can get to that at some point during the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I constantly keep checking it. Thank you so much for the retweets so far since we've been on air. That's very much appreciated. Um, so on today's show, um, just to get this through because we've got a 
phone interview a quarter past so we can't talk too long and because we want to make sure we're off there for that so that i can i can talk to them uh beforehand so our first guest in five about round about five minutes time is ben west um, he unfortunately lost his brother Sam to suicide exactly one year ago and he's campaigning um, on the government to train teachers in mental health first aid so they're equipped to help and step um, you know, step in and um, mm. uh, and basically stop that from happening, mm. happening mm. which is obviously going to be um, a very um, powerful and mm. uh, honest um, interview and he's going to be on the phone in about five minutes time. Um, Maria Baranowska, who's been on the show before, she's from Moving On, Tyne and Weir. Uh, which supports people 18 and over living in Tyne and Wea and unemployment due to physical and mental health barriers. Um, she was a previous guest back in October. Um, she's going to be on roughly round about half past 12. Uh, Richard Faulkner, which was a funny little thing we did in the foyer because I th- honestly thought that was a comedian. Um, I, 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 he might very well be. Yeah, he might very well be. We just don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he um, uh, and I was miss, I was miss, I was um, I was confusing him with a guy from the Mighty Bo- Mighty Bush. Yeah. Um, which I was like going, I'm sure that's the guy from the Mighty Bush, but no, that was um, that was um, Fulcher, Fulcher, yeah, Fulcher, not Faulkner, yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, anyway, the uh, so Richard Faulkner is the head of policy at Education Support Partnership, UK's only charity providing mental health wellbeing support services to all education staff and organisations, which is good because there's a nice clarity between that and Ben Ben yeah. West, what he's yeah, going to be talking yeah. about. So that's good that that exists because we we've we've talked about this on that show on this show many a time. And Kirsty Dillon, who is a film, television, and theatre actress, who's been on such shows as Doctors, Emma Deal, Casualty, Holby City, London's Burning, all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, she's going to be talking um, about grief, bullying, domestic violence, PTSD, and self-love and whatnot. And she's going to join us about one thirty. Um, which means that hopefully we'll get at some point time to do mental health mm. news, but it won't be at one because Rich Faulkner is yeah. going to be on round about one. Um, so we'll figure out a time. Yeah. Uh, we might even maybe do it with Maria because she's been on before, so she might be willing to do it then. Oh, that might be an idea. Um, but yeah, so that's the show today. Um, so while we've got a few minutes before our uh, phone guests joins us, Ben West, um, the usual thing that we talk about is how are you, Mr. Good Ricky, um, for a couple of minutes? Today, yeah. how, how are things? Oh, how are things? Good few days. Exciting. Yeah. Bit of a bad back because I've been overdoing it a little. Well, I say overdoing it. I'm, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to. Think, I don't want to imply that I've been overdoing it. But yeah, I've been doing quite a bit of running. I think the thing with me is it's it's working out. I do these little short sort of exercises before and after, and I think I've got to work out all the necessarily balances from that because my my back is a bit ooh, today. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm 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 all right. Yeah. Um, have you been up to much? Or yeah, well, actually, just just very recently, I won't say too much about it, but I had a, a, a sort of a business-like meeting for Mentally Sound in terms of trying to get some drama uh, on there. So I'll tell you about that. A drama? In course, yeah. <laughs> There's always drama on this show. <laughs> <laughs> There's drama, enough drama in one life, isn't there? That's yeah. why we're here. <laughs> why make it more, Ricky? I mean, that's just foolish. <laughs> um, that sounds fun. Yeah, fun. yeah. So oh, it, was, yeah. it was my mum's uh, birthday uh, on on the exact oh, right. day of the last show. Oh yeah, how went, did that go? That went really well. Oh yeah. good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, it did go well. No sort of tension to 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 um, highlight. Off. Yes, yeah. uh, food was disappointing, but there you go. <laughs> Do you want to say where he went or, or <laughs> no, you don't want to upset just in anyone? Case. Yeah. Yeah. My cousin runs this but restaurant. No, those, and, uh, <laughs> those, who, those who know me well probably do know where I went, so I'll probably. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, really? He really didn't like it. He never said that at the time. So you've been uh, busy with the university, haven't you? Yes. So I've been. I was there two days this week, yeah. um, helping out with the interviews, and I did a speech there again. 
caring again is it or something um, it was kind of a more generalised one because it was for potential students because it was for next year's students because they were being interviewed um, they were being interviewed uh, to be on the course next September Mm -hmm. Um, so they asked me to do a presentation uh, on Tuesday and it was basically a half an hour it was sort of a condensed half an hour speech Um, just basically um, talking about my experience with social workers and okay. I thought it went really really well um, I, and I didn't really like sort of prepare for it in the sense of I knew what I was roughly wanting to talk about mm. um, and I just talked about my experiences of first meeting a social worker in my own life comparing that to my social worker when I was in a psychiatric ward and then finally compared that to see and I just said the whole crux of it was to talk about communication okay. um, and basically saying that even if you're supporting somebody like I am with my mom with Parkinson's who has a social worker, is to say that communication is essential, whether it be from you or the social worker, from the social worker to the person you're helping or the social worker to the person who's supporting the person you're helping because mm-hmm. it is a whole team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say... I've said this for a long time that 50% of anyone recovering is the people around them that are supporting them. Like, mm. you know, the professional help is 50%, but 50% mm. of it is. Or maybe you could say, like, you know, it's like 30, 33, 33, 33, and 33% of it is their own motivation. Mm. 33% of it is the support that they have around them, and 33% of it is the professional help. That, that's mm. And you usually find that someone's lack of recovery is down to one of those three things not being... Mm-hmm. Not being uh, good enough or not being available, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of that, you know, you can just... That's why I always say when, you know, when people go, you can get better on just sheer willpower. It's I, oh, I, I don't oh. believe that exists. Yeah. There's no such thing. Um, willpower will get you a certain amount, but then, you know, if you've went, gone through a long period of time not getting better, willpower gets you only so far. Reminds um, me of the man-up one. Yeah, yeah in a way. exactly. Yeah, a I mean, you do need willpower. Yeah. That's why I think people misconstrue it, is because they go, you do generally do need willpower, but the idea of that you just, like, you know, you just do it is, is a little ridiculous. Right. right, we need to be off the air now, because Ben will be um, probably phoning any minute now, so we're going to play some songs uh, while we'll talk to Ben off air. Um, so yeah he's going to uh, talk to us uh, in the studio in about 5 minutes time um, so yeah thank you so much for everyone who tuned in to Mentally Sound so far as I said at, at the beginning we're going to be here until 2pm talking about all things mental health and we'll be back with talking to Ben was it West? Yep. Was his name? Ben. Yeah so we'll be back talking to Ben West about his um, brother was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah his brother, brother Sam. Um, yeah he lost his brother Sam to suicide um, so he'll be on the phone right after these messages I'm just actually thinking I haven't uh, queued up a song so let's figure out what I'm going to play um, there's so much to choose from it's quite rare you delivery days. didn't want because you like the, the you like the art of choosing that's why really. yes I do yeah it's like yeah I don't want to just pick I don't want to pick a song that I don't like uh, it's like leaning cool. over a jukebox and going hmm yeah. mm, oh that's a good song let's do that point. Oh no, it's really long. I can't do that. <laughs> do you remember? Don't do Bob Marley. Marley yeah. Don't do a live version of Bob well, Marley. Always like do last Bob time. Marley, but but try do. Yeah, the Bob Marley's version. awesome, but yeah, it's not. Uh, I just put Purple Rain by um, Purple Rain by uh, Prince. And oh, it's how eight can you not go long, wrong with that? But it's eight minutes long. Though, oh. It's only for trouble. Uh, hmm, I already don't. Let's just just pick. Oh, there. KC in the Sunshine Band. There you go. We'll be back after these messages on Manly Sound. <laughs> That's the way I, 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 I. <laughs>
everybody. Welcome back to Mentally Sound on Spice FM 98.8 FM. That was the rather delightful Freddie Mercury with The Great Pretender. Um, one of the things I um, I employ people to watch if they haven't already is the wonderful documentary. Um, we wa- Me and my partner watched it on Sky Arts, I think it was. And it was the, the, the documentary about, like, you know, sort of um, all the interviews he did over the years and, like, sort of just about the Freddie Mercury documentary. And I imagine they re-put it on because I'd seen it before and it was obviously because of the film the films just come out, or, like, relatively recently, Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's such an interesting case study because Freddie Mercury has the, the greatest charisma I've ever seen on stage and the least charisma off it <laughs> he's the most like he even says that like he's always got a stick he always had a cigarette in his hand anytime he got interviewed and particularly in like the sort of set like 70s and 80s and he was just dull like he was he, he, he's like said like the most polarizing figure I've ever seen where he's just like, I was watching interviews going and I, it's very hard for me to not be interested in interviews and he's just like, yeah, I enjoy the music's great, yeah, uh, yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah. But you know what, <laughs> I, I prefer it like that because had he been the same on, on everything he ever did, yeah. I think it'd become tiresome in the end, so maybe, yeah, yeah I was like more sidestopping. Yeah, I actually think he's probably like, you know, like Mike Myers and that he's a site pacific extrovert and an introvert the rest of the time because I, I mean that he, he was literally the right word is polarizing he was complete the complete opposite uh, than his um, and I think he did say that everyone expects him to be like that like on stage but anyway highly recommend people to check that out I'm sure it's like available on demand or something like that or if not try and find it it's a cool documentary and obviously if you've seen the film or something it's good to see the real person in action um, uh, so in regards to what I said Ben 
Um, uh, ben, who I mentioned was supposed to be phoning us, for some reason hasn't. Um, guessing he might have forgot. He's not answering at the minute. So we're going to try and see if he'll come on later on because we can't wait any longer. Basically, we don't want to just be a song, song play songs for the rest of the, sh- the rest of the show. But fortunately, our next guest, who's a little early, um, Maria, who's been on before, is here now. So we thought instead of making a wait another ten minutes, let's just talk to her now. So um, Maria was a guest. Uh, so we're moving on time and we are. And you were on in October, and she's back now to just talk about, um, I guess, basically just to catch up, essentially. Yeah. Um, so how are you, Maria? Welcome. I'm very good. Thanks for having me back. No problem. Yeah. Happy New Year. You too, you too. I guess that's an obvious starting point is, um, did you have a good Christmas and all that since we last saw you? I had a lovely Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, not much happened, but it's uh, it's been very busy for the programme, and we've kind of come at a turning point in the new year, so mm-hmm. it's been really great to come back and... Have a have a really fresh start with everything. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. did um, another fun thing because we talked about this so in the January shows. Did you? Because um, we're still in January. Um, just uh, did you? Did you make yourself any New Year's resolutions or all that sort of stuff? Eat the classics, you know, <laughs> get fit, improve self, less so, alcohol. Yeah. That's what most people do. So yeah. far, it's not going so yeah. well. But um, yeah, my yeah. caffeine one didn't go well because I've still got one in the studio. That's fine. Oh. Yeah, I think starting February. That's the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Leave it, leave it until yeah. later in the year. You've got a better chance of doing things. That's what happens with memes. I'm so funny you said that because I was thinking you know how like it's dry January. It'll be like it'll be um, not uh, non-drink February, and <laughs> then it'll be <laughs> then it'll be no glasses March. <laughs> it'll just be like another way of like uh, making it less special. Yeah. It'll be like all the you all know, the months, you know. I, I read a thing saying that it's always better to leave it until spring to yep. do your New Year's resolutions yeah. because. You, the winter's a dark, sad time. Yeah. Wait until spring. You feel a bit more rejuvenated. Yeah. Things get brighter and long days are longer. So yeah, wait it's until re- the spring. It's really funny. Before we get on to how moving on time and we are doing, um, I, 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 it's it's funny because I was thinking about this on the way here, and I was talking to my partner about this because I was uh, we were just telling me I've I just became my dad recently, and. Um, I, I said to my partner who knows I have bipolar disorder obviously and all that kind of thing and I and she was saying the same thing even like I, just in general and I thought it was such an interesting point she was mm-hmm. going I feel really like bluesy and, and down and I and I've and then she was like realizing like she was reflecting going I think it's like everyone feels like that at the beginning of the year like in January and February and, and it's because it's like and it's also it's way colder in January and February as well like yeah. I mean everyone always thinks of December is cold and yet anytime I ever think of previous years I always think of January in February where I feel the most miserable and I feel the most like um, that I'm not doing enough and all that sort of stuff the apprehension do you find that with people who you work with as a good transition I think so I think that's definitely true I think there's a lot of pressure around Christmas Um, a lot of people um, are very isolated it's a really Mm -hmm. it's a really slow time of year and if you don't have family and you don't have support systems December can be a really tough time so I think there's a lot of pressure on January to become this really amazing person and turn everything around so I think I think yeah it's it's a tough time of year I think mm. everybody needs to support each other and you know be accessible I think every guest that we've had on when we've talked to them about these winter months it's like um it is tough you know we've talked to domestic violence um charities and so forth and you on the point you made before about waiting until maybe spring mm-hmm. I think you're bang on with that because with people you need you need sort of a recovery time in a way you can't really leap into something immediately can you Absolutely um, so going on from your last visit, and I was looking on your website, and I was thinking like, what 
things that we might not have talked touched upon that we that we could have the opportunity to do now. But first of all, you mentioned that it was a transitional period since your last appearance. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Transitional, as in things have happened since October. Sure. So uh, I think we had a bit of a turning point. Uh, yeah. We were kind of really trying to get the program out there, and we did a big. We've done a big campaign on the transport system, and it seems like awareness has really spiked. Mm. And we just crossed our thousandth participant threshold. Oh. Um, so mm. it's really great to have so many people on the program, and we're really starting to see results and people coming out of it. Uh, in employment and in training it's just really great to see to see the changes happening i'm so pleased you said that because um i'm a i'm a i don't drive so mm-hmm. i'm a public transport guy and i like um saw and i was thinking to myself when i saw you on the show today i'm going are that the company that put all the posters up because <laughs> i swear to god i'm going to reveal this and i talked about this with my partner i see your posters all the time well that's and, good to hear and, uh, and the communication yeah, yeah. explain <laughs> more about that i'm intrigued tell me well um so th- so what they do with the posters and so are you okay with me me yeah, yeah, yeah. um so i'm speaking from design perspective <laughs> yeah well what i like about it right and i'm assuming with you being the communications and i guess you're involved in that pro- in that idea is i thought it was a really clever idea because so the posters is obviously got moving on time and way and it's like are you suffering with mental health issues and uh, all that sort of stuff um it's a service it's to help you motivate you and get back into employment i like the fact that you use positive positive words in it which i know is obvious in in, in advertising because it's it's um implied meaning mm-hmm. um but another thing is because there's different posters for with different people on and they don't can they don't and i i i thought maybe i've completely understood the point is that they don't conform to what i think a stereotypical person with mental health would be because there was a lady who looked like a normal like a ma- like almost like a mom or a or at least like just a yeah. middle-aged woman and she's like got blonde hair and she's right she's, in a, she's right like in front of like the bridge or something it's like a really nice um yeah, yeah. nice picture of newcastle and it looks it it it's interesting because it looks like a normal picture and then it's like but i have a problem yeah um, that's, that's exactly the whole point I yeah mean, that's that's what truly represents the people on our program the spectrum of people is immense we have mm-hmm. everyone and every, anyone on the program and those those posters are of real people and real participants mm-hmm. and they're their stories so yeah. it's really great that you picked up on that because that's exactly what we yeah and then there's for. another one with an older older gentleman on and um, I imagine it's like just a case of like there might be someone who's struggling to get work because like they've lost their job later in life and yeah. it's hard to transition to do something else at that age yeah, and, and all that kind of thing because I legitimately I will be completely open about this because I'm so pleased you came on is that like because at this period like just from my personal point of view my 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 feeling at the minute to be completely upfront about it is that I'm happy at the moment with my partner if we're looking after our daughter and I, I consider that a privilege that I have the opportunity to just help out with her growing because she's only um you know nine weeks old so I'm just I'm, I'm fine with not working as much during this period of time but I was legitimately thinking because I I think and I think this is useful for the audience to hear this um, if they're in the same predicament, is when you, uh, one of your posters said motivation and it made me think I might use your service because um, uh, even though like, you know, come across doing this show, it's hard work and everything else. It's like I I feel, and I know Ricky knows this because he's a friend of mine, is that I think people end up in a position like I do where I have skills and I have the desire to do things but desire and motivation are two separate things and that's the one thing that saps 
me in my yeah. disorder is that it's the motivation of the and i guess it's you know i guess with motivation comes self a little self-doubt yeah, even though i am quite a confident person um it just saps away at me so like the reason i'm telling you all this is to then probe all the question of um it can it just simply be a case of somebody who like because i guess people may look at your comp- uh, organization i guess is the better way of saying it and go well I like uh, they they must help people with no skills but the the thing about mental health it mental health doesn't care about people like what skills you have it's across the whole spectrum so I guess what I'm saying is is it also a case of like people come with skills but don't know how to implement them and all that kind of thing Do you see what I'm getting at yeah definitely I yeah. think I think that's the whole point of moving on time and we are I think mm-hmm. you really hit the nail on the head so often it isn't about starting from nothing motivation mm-hmm. is the key we're not going to fix anybody's um, health problems because we always also deal with physical health problems yeah, of course we're not going to fix anyone's problems we're here to show people that they have the capacity to improve themselves mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just a case of sitting down for a cup of tea and talking through what you actually are and what you're capable of yes yeah. and that's that's exactly it's just giving someone a push mm-hmm. and the support system do you find when you do that there's a lot of people because this is another thing i think we come across a lot doing this show um i think a lot of people in general are incredibly skilled but aren't aware of yeah, what skills they have absolutely. do you find that happens as well definitely i mean mm. people don't regard their hobbies as skills and mm-hmm. so often that that is the case we've had people who um for example are crafty and have gone on to start their own business uh, i can think of one person in my head who started a business called crafterella and right. she used to be a lecturer mm-hmm. um, at the university mm-hmm. and uh, has gone on to set up like workshops for, to teach people crafts and help them with their mental health. And really? that was just a hobby for her. And now she's doing it as a business. So it's it's really good to see people find those skills and, and yeah. start it's to good use segue them. that because actually it was one of my questions because I've got written down here social enterprise. Mm-hmm. So that's that comes under that bracket. So if someone, once they've sort of found and nurtured their skill, um, what steps do you help them take into sort of making their own business or making that those those steps into? Um, our, our navigators uh, have a lot of knowledge in themselves, mm. but also we have specialist partners. So we have um, a partner called the BIC. Have oh, you heard of yeah, the yeah, BIC yeah. in Sunderland? So they're yeah. one of our partners. So we'll refer people onto the BIC okay. and they'll kind of sit down and workshop with them and mm. lay out the steps. And I, I've, I've gone on a visit and kind of looked at the process and it's amazing. Mm. It's really simple. It's just advice on how anything mm. from like taxes, mm. writing business plans, everything like that. You just break it down and they, and they give you the support to get That's there. That's great because so, so, that, so that those persons or persons, they're obviously honing in on their skill. Mm-hmm that's how you develop obviously your business but you have a, a team of support workers around you to help absolutely that's the whole idea oh, so it's just having yeah. it's having the ammunition to know how to get started yeah. i think yeah. um, and we've had lots of successful people it's, it's amazing to hear um there's a lady who started a, a dog walking business which is absolutely taken off <laughs> and it's just it's lovely yeah, yeah. It's lovely. It's great yeah, lovely. I think um, I, that was funny because um, I, w- uh, me and my partner have two dogs and we are always going like, there's a zillion dogs in the place that we live and we were going, we should start walking in business. <laughs> like, surely we can make a ton of money. It's a lucrative um, enterprise, yeah. I hear. Yeah, because yeah. like, I mean, like, you know, if the dogs are nice, I mean, it's the easiest thing to do. But actually, 
quite seriously quite problematic for people who work a lot because I always think like you know if we if me and my partner ended up working full time or even part time on certain days that like our our, our dogs would suffer mm-hmm. I mean like because I'm but that but I mean that's the responsibility of a dog owner but still it, it is a, it is an issue that you Absolutely, need to address yeah. so um so yeah I, I know we would have talked about this when you were last on but obviously with a potential new audience every time we were on FM so is what's the criteria then obviously we've touched on the criteria of your physical and mental health obviously but is there a particular criteria for using your services do you have to be referenced that kind of thing there's no there's no requirement to be referenced you just have to be aged 18 or over and mm-hmm. live in tiny weir and have some kind of health barrier and that health doesn't have to be diagnosed by a doctor it can be self-diagnosed it can be whatever whatever you define as a barrier to work mm-hmm. um and that's it you can just refer yourself you can refer a family member if, if you have the permission to. It's it's completely open and completely voluntary. And does it have like a time time limit thing, or no. is it a case of that you just like you know you you're there until they get employed, or is it an uh, ongoing it's, thing? It's or? an it's an ongoing thing, depending on what you feel comfortable and what the navigator feels. So sometimes people um, will leave the program when they're starting to job search sometimes it'll be because they've started education and sometimes it'll be different it just really depends on the person so i think we touched on this on the last time you were here uh, regarding so the whole generic um field of, of mental health in the workplace and i know when you get um companies that sort of sign up um is there something there that needs to be clarified as in do they need to recognize sort of mental health in the work- workplace so when someone joins their team they're aware of their condition and how to work their way around it um, we have we have a team um, which are the employer engagement team. So they'll spend uh, they'll often go into the organisation and ensure that they're prepared to um, to you know house them and deal with their specific needs. Especially when we work with um, our Pathways project, which is the specific autism and learning difficulties okay. one. So often reasonable adjustments will need to be made, mm-hmm. and employers should have that knowledge of how to do that and there shouldn't be an issue around mm. it so we have those those teams of people mm. who go in there and mm. make sure that the the playing fields equal and even so do you have something within the company there therefore to encourage companies and businesses and so forth to sign up to some sort of pledge yeah to, to not only set that within their within their environment but also to take people on who they know might benefit from. yeah it's it's not it's not so much a pledge uh because there's no requirement but we do have we we offer um uh, corporate social responsibility training for instance so uh, our teams can go into organizations and uh, run through some expectations tell them about disability confidence schemes which is from the DWP and several other things like that does that include then so when 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 such um, companies groups whatever take people on that they can also sign up to what, sort of a peer mentor thing so, yeah. so, so you might have a one-to-one where they might sort of, you know, yeah. some people would feel better that way, wouldn't they? Yeah, it's absolutely possible. We're incredibly flexible, and I think that's what that's what it is. We we just meet the needs of the employer and the person, so we can pretty much do anything that both parties need. Excellent. I just I was laughing in the middle of when he said pledge because this is how much of a nerd I am. I was like thinking you were like Yoda or something, and he go, "You will listen to this." <laughs> <laughs> like you just like kind of like um, pledge also a uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a uh, pledge drive. Um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting, uh, an interesting way of putting it. Um, are you pressed for time at all, Maria? No, not at all. No. Um, would you? Because um, one of the things that we want to do now, because we've got a, a phone interview at one, is we were going to do mental health news. Uh, were you aware of that last time we were? 
you're on. No, I don't. Um, think so. so we do a segment where we 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 um, do mental health news, like as in anything mental health news. Ricky does headlines about, and then we have a discussion for like ten fifteen minutes. Would you like to be involved in that? Sure, yeah, I'll do it because uh, it's kind of nice doing it as a three. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what we need to do now is take a little bit, a little bit of a break because I'm a little bit behind on the ads because we we're supposed to be in our ads five minutes ago. So we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back with mental health news. And we're gonna if Maria is kind enough to stay, we'll continue with that. Um, but yeah, actually, we should say what well, before we go to ads is uh, moving on time and we are uh, website and whatnot. Yes, um, so uh, motw.org.uk. You can mm-hmm. find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, and just Google. Give it a Google, um, and you can find out all the information and how to refer. And likewise, if you're an organisation who wants to connect and, mm-hmm. and discuss things like that, then yep. just reach out. Great. Right. Um, so we'll be back um, after these messages, and we're going to play Better Nails by Alice Cooper, and we'll be right back uh, with Mental Health News with Maria and Ricky right after these messages. For the community, by the community. Spice FM, 98.8 FM. Spice FM will be celebrating Mohammed Rafi's birthday once again on Christmas Eve this year from 11 to 2. Join the oldest gold host, Masood, with a selection of Rafi's greatest hits. Welcome to your community announcement answer machine. To broadcast your community announcement on Spice FM free of charge, call 0191273988. Select option 3 and record your message. No more messages. Sick of the same old radio sound? <sighs> then you need vibrant radio. Spice up your life. Spice FM, 98.8 FM.
I just said it, it to me that song sounded appropriate um, for what we were talking about in relation to mental health because sometimes your bed feels like a bed of nails <laughs> and it's very very hard to get out of bed sometimes I, I get that feeling anyway every now and again and as we said maybe it's the furniture store sometimes. yeah 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 <laughs> I've got to stop all these Chinese medicines <laughs> but yeah um, so that was Alice Cooper with Bed of Nails um, I just thought I saw it on database what was one song and this is Mentally Sound on Spice FM 98.8 FM and we're still here with Maria um, who's kindly decided to stay on for mental health news with Ricky and just before I hand, it, hand the mic over because we should say just in case you might hear a difference in sound would be brutally honest as one of the microphones is not working so me and Ricky are, um, are sharing a microphone so that might be why it's not as loud as normal um, so once I hand over the mic to um, to Ricky I'll just say that Ben West who we talked about who was supposed to be on at quarter past twelve just um, messaged us to say that he's agreed to do quarter past one he completely forgot which I assumed was what was happening because he never rang the studio so he's hopefully going to be on about uh, quarter past one so he will be on after Richard Faulkner, who's going to be from Education Support Partnership, who's going to be on round about one o'clock. So we're going to just do mental health news now for the next 10, 12 minutes or so before we take a break at one o'clock uh, for some ads. So over to Ricky with mental health news. <laughs> we really need a jingle. Yeah. That's going to be. I think we just accepted that you that that, that is the jingle. Yeah, you know? The jingle is me attending you do a bad jingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. so we'll do we'll quick fire these through. So um yeah, first one very very topical, quite relevant. So the government have been urging social media companies to be more responsible over like harmful content and this comes on the back of uh so you might have seen in the news, uh, a teenager uh, by the name of Molly Russell, only fourteen, sadly took her took her own life. Um and when her family um delved into a social media account, particularly Instagram, they found that she was viewing very um very disturbing imagery which i think most people agree now that such things can trigger or at least lead lead vulnerable people down a certain path that affects their mental health chances are she probably had a history of mental health anyway i, I, I wasn't able to sort of delve further into that but yeah uh, this has urged the government to do something about it and um to to before we talk about it i thought i'll let instagram did respond to this and this is what they said they said that um Instagram does not allow uh, content that promotes or glorifies self-harm or suicide and will remove content of this kind. So yeah, um, and just on this, uh, question time last night, which uh, is obviously very political, they, they talked about this and they got more airtime than Brexit. So <laughs> I think that's the first. So well, it's about time because I mean I think even everyone's getting a bit bored about Bre- about Brexit. I mean obviously it's very very important and it needs to be talked about. But you know it does make you think all these like little social um that, that I say little. It's obviously extremely important, but I just say it's deemed all these little social issues are like kind of put on the back burner. I mean, what's your view, sort of Maria, in terms of like um in terms of just online content? Are you a, a social mediary person and? Uh, I, I as as a person who works in marketing, yes. I'm forced to be. Uh, yes. Um, in my personal life, I wouldn't say that I'm a heavy social media user. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's a bit of a tricky one. People put up a facade, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's really difficult to control what you see. And I do feel dubious about it, but at the same time, I think it's really difficult to police. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking when you said so it. So yeah. it's 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 difficult to to know what kind of measures will be put in place. But it's so tragic. It's such a tragic story. Such a tragic story that 
um, yeah, I don't know what the solution is. Well, yeah, because the pro- uh, you've hit. The, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you were talking about it, Ricky. Is that I found myself going, well, this isn't by any stretch of the imagination a defence for companies like this because because but social media, in order for social media to be the platform that it, it's used for, needs to have like a freedom of expression. And the thing is, Agreed, is that yeah. the problem with and the problem is that many people use it. How can you come up with like a software that regulates it? Because you usually find if someone wants to be harsh or horrible or brutal about something, they'll find a way around any obstacles to be that abusive or whatever. You know, I mean, I know they've worked really, really hard on the anonymity stuff. To so you have to, you know, at least like convey who you are, and you can trace who's doing these things, which I'm all for. Um, but I just think like you were touching on me as like. Um, like Twitter and YouTube and Instagram are so massive that how can you literally go through everybody's account and like find any you know because it might be a picture that looks like one thing but actually is another thing or it's all implied or whatever it is and that like it really comes down to a little bit of personal responsibilities that I like agree. you know it, it really comes down to um, the person who's doing it um, we need somehow need to educate them to realise what is the difference between right and wrong um, and that's really hard as you say to police on the internet I think that's the drawback what I would add to that is, and I've agreed on what what you've what you've both said. <clears throat> it's about balance in the end. I'm not for just immediately banning something on the back of something. It's all about balance. Yeah. I think for me, I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for social media. Because after my breakdown, I kind of lost touch with all my circles I was with. So social media, despite me kind of like not giving much thought about it, I, it, I just thought is a no no for me. But then. It was through social media I began to find my voice again, and it was through that yeah. that I found Mental Health Northeast and and the various people, and I got to meet you, and so you know there you go. And it's also a voice for for people yeah. who feel voiceless. So like with everything, it's good and bad. But yes, social media companies probably do have to be a bit more responsible as to what content uh, is is on there. And mm-hmm. as I say, police yes, but. But you're never always going to get it right. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and I would say the key difference is I'm pleased you said that because obviously social media has a good purpose. And as you said, Maria, about your job, it obviously you know it helps promote good causes and all that sort of thing. Um, I would say the key difference is what I was how I diversified it earlier by saying that you're a responsible tweeter as in you think about before you speak you know a lot I'm not I'm not not sure about that well yeah but you know I know because of the person you are that you're not going to say anything derogatory or like you know like racist or discriminatory yeah I'm aware of that but I mean he's early so I'm not answering it (laughs) the phone was there the phone's um, going off but um, hopefully you'll ring it one when we ask him to Um, (laughs) but yeah so um so uh, as you uh, as I th- I think it is it comes down to, like I say the individual responsibility of someone to say look um I I know that like what I say is going to have a consequence for certain people and using it in an appropriate way but then at the same time like I'm saying in order to have freedom of expression and the rights of an individual is you should have the right to offend and the right to do everything else but obviously if someone's going out of that way to be you know disparaging and 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 showing unbelievably you know offensive material then there's got to be something done but as you said how can you police how can you make it um viable for like such huge stuff what i what i will say i don't know if i saw that i talked about this last show but there's been a lot of um stuff happening on the internet in terms of um uh, like um eu policies and one of them is um copyrighted material which i'm really pleased that they're they're sorting out because i think youtube for example is the biggest 
proprietor like like gainer of this is that basically like people so for example so uh, they're now penalizing the companies who are letting them do that so what i mean is is like so for example someone who's got a youtube channel might be stealing people's content like manipulating it a little bit so they don't flag it up as someone else's material and then gaining views and then gaining money out of the advertising and there's people who just make that money off basically stealing other people's content so now what they've decided to do is come up with a, a rule in the internet where basically um if they don't challenge that and ban accounts who do that then youtube pay a penalty per art per account that people do that That's so youtube good, yeah. get penalized um, and yeah. because they were just willing to do that because you know they were making money off it essentially so it's a little bit lesser two evils just one last thing to to wrap it up because i think this was mentioned last night and i think we all know this that um it, it, it's a very it's a modern culture aspect you know the whole social media so obviously this this poor lass who who took her own life it's also um it also sort of symbolizes um the lack of help out there in terms of cuts and mental health services especially for young people and I think there was a case that had had people like her and others get get the help early, as in you know suicide prevention. You know that would go a long way as well. So it's about it's about adapting to what's. I mean, social media is going to be here forever. Um, it'll probably morph into something bigger down the line. So I think you know services and so forth should ought to adapt. You know, I know it's happening at a very rapid pace, but there you go. Such is life, so are we for time time for another? Yeah, we've got time for one more. Yeah. Okay then. So um yeah, something that's very uh topical that you you both might have um seen on T V, a certain um shaving brand released an advert. Um I won't say its name because of the well okay, it was Gil- it was Gillette but other <laughs> other um sort of companies are out there in terms of, you know, men's grooming. It is the best the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it then, we're done for <laughs> um, a joke, I want paid to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but he is available in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. So the uh, American, on the back of that, I mean, I think it dovetails to what, you know, the whole hullabaloo of that advert came. It was basically saying, looking at looking at men and the toxic, toxicity of um, manly culture nowadays. And, and the American um, Psychological Association came out and said that, that um, well, they recognize that the traditional ideas of masculinity is now, is now bad for mental health. But I think we kind of knew that anyway. Um, and what they've come out and said is that we see that... Men have higher suicide rates, men have more cardiovascular diseases, and men are more lonelier when they get older. So what we're trying to say is to help men by expanding their emotional uh, repertoire and try not to, um, you know, minus their, their their strengths at the same time. So again, it's about balance. But yeah, that advert came out and, and they were talking about it for weeks. I don't know if you've seen it, Steve, have you? No, I don't think I have. No. So no. Gillette have released a new advert and it's sort of like, Given the slogan that you just you just said there before, it's it's not anti. It, it's sort of like asking guys to look at themselves, and it's sort of like you know, be more responsible and not delve into sort of like sexism or anything like that. So, um, have you seen it, Maria? I made an effort not to watch it, but I've okay. read articles surrounding it. <laughs> Any um, immediate thoughts? I think uh, I think to- toxic masculinity is a huge problem, but we've come on leaps and strides. Really, it's only just coming to the surface now we've only really started talking about what i think true men's rights is and i think this is a huge issue i think um yeah 
it's it's a big problem. Uh, yeah, too much to go into now. Yeah, yet, too but, much. Um, but yeah, I'm, I I would say in general, and and I was going to talk about this at the at the beginning. I've been watching a lot of lectures recently, um, and um, and yeah, I do think the thing of that every, everyone should all be for equality. I think you know that's an obvious human right that everyone should be you know treated equally, no matter race, gender, blah blah blah. But I do think the 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 byproduct of what's happening at the minute is that men are being sort of um, ostracised a little bit because, and it's like kind of going a little bit too much the other way, and that um, you know that this idea of that um, yeah, I, I guess. Um, I remember seeing a lecture where it was um, that guy Peterson, which I forget his first name, but he's a Canadian lecturer and he's really good. And he was saying essentially that people, it's not a case that men are losing their identity, is that people are claiming that men don't have an identity anymore, which is a key difference. It's been put on them more. And I do think that's kind of is a little bit of an issue right now, is that men, because of the way society is changing and being a little bit more open, is that men who maybe are stereotypically men are not sure how to handle things and they're losing their identity a little bit because they're like oh the world's changing around me and i'm this person who's kind of archaic in the way that i deal with things which i thought was an interesting point um but anyway we need to go because we've got a, a phone interview waiting um with uh, richard so um we're going to take a break now thanks maria for coming thanks in thanks for having me yeah, thanks my pleasure for, and thanks for staying a little bit longer and um so moving on time and we are the website like you mentioned mm-hmm. um and i say over 18 is the only yep. criteria and if you've got a physical or mental health issue and um, yep. even self-diagnosed and have to be referred um, and so please check them out as I just said quite honestly earlier in the show I'm I, we were talking about this off air as well just about me wanting to motivation is a key issue for me so I'm probably going to end up using their services definitely in the future um, so yeah um, I highly recommend you check it out because as I say the process must be working because I've seen them <laughs> all the way all the time so I need to um, stop them I'm so intrigued money, money well spent <laughs> <laughs> so you can you can relay that back to great, your great to your team members yeah. <laughs> very cool so uh, thanks a lot to me pleasure seeing you again um, yeah so what we're going to do now is play some ads and like I say we've got a phone call waiting there with Rich um, we're going to play California Girls by David Lee Woff and we'll be back in the studio in about 3-4 minutes time here on Medley Sound on Spice FM 98.8 FM <sighs> then you need vibrant radio spice up your life Spice FM 98.8 FM The Glasses Factory has arrived on West Road in Newcastle. To celebrate the opening of our new flagship store, The Glasses Factory are offering free eye tests, plus a £5 voucher for each eye test conducted. The Glasses Factory are always here to help. We have multilingual assistants in Punjabi and Urdu, and also both male and female attendants. See for yourself. The Glasses Factory, 498 Westgate Road, Newcastle. Call 0191 273 8460. Log on at Glasses factory.co.uk or search us out on Facebook. Have you heard about the latest wedding and events venue in town? The New Bridge Hotel in the heart of Newcastle City Centre is now available for Asian weddings, celebrations and events. The New Bridge Hotel's newly refurbished Granger Suite has a capacity of up to 400 guests. And the Time Suite is the perfect setting for a welcome drinks reception. We are fully equipped for your choice of caterer to work from our kitchens. And we'll also provide all your crockery, cutlery, glassware and linen. The New Bridge Hotel, New Bridge Street, Newcastle, offering a unique, unforgettable experience for your big day. For more information, get in touch with our dedicated wedding coordinator on 0191 250 5400 
or email sales at the newbridgehotel.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Spice FM 98.8 FM. Always puts me in a good mood. That song, yeah. <laughs> David Lee Roth. Obviously, a be- uh, Beach Boys song, though. This is David Lee Roth. I but, thought it was um, the Beach Boys. Yeah, it wasn't the Beach Boys. Apparently, it says it's David Lee Roth. Oh, it, it does sound different. Um, I just suddenly realised what song that was, and I was like, yeah, it doesn't. Say, yeah, but I was humming the Beach Roth Boys. And Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't right. know that that must be correct because it does seem different. But anyway, I was an enjoyable. It always make that it's a great song anyway. So it always puts mm-hmm. me in a good mood. And welcome back everyone to Mentally Sound here on Spice FM ninety eight point eight FM with myself and Ricky. Huge thank you to Maria who was our uh, first guest today. And as we mentioned, uh, Ben West is going to be on air in about ten fifteen minutes time. Who was supposed to ring at uh, quarter past twelve, and uh, yeah, we've rearranged it till then. Um, so yeah, exciting times. Um, so yeah, um, we're really, really excited about our next guest. Been waiting patiently on the line. 
Um, and he's here to talk from, he's the head of policy at Education Support Partnership. And this is good, actually, because uh, Ben West is actually talking about how his, um, to train teachers in mental health. And our next guest um, is the UK's only charity that provides mental health and well-being for education staff and organisations, which is wonderful because as some, we talk about this in relation to schools, but obviously Richard will talk about that more and he joins us on the phone now. Are you, can you hear us, Richard? Good afternoon. Good afternoon to yourself. Um, are you well? First of all, I guess doing a mental health show, we should ask you if you're well. I am. Yeah, looking forward to the weekend. Great, excellent. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, on these January weekend weeks, it's always nice to have a bit of time, a bit of time off. Um, so yeah, so um, obviously when we we mention company names and whatnot, it all sounds like you know lots of nice, you know, uh, very um, impressive words. So if you could tell us uh, for the audience as well, like so, what your um, organisation involves in in more broader detail. Yeah, absolutely. So we're a UK charity. Um, our roots go back around 140 years. Um, we basically just exist to support everyone working in education, right from early years up to higher education, um, to look after their well-being, their mental health. Um, we offer a wide range of support services, which have sort of evolved over the years to kind of meet the, you know, the changing landscape and the changing need of um, the charity's beneficiaries. Yeah. So. Um, we grow them quite a lot um, and obviously we also do a lot of work in terms of research and policy to kind of um, look out for teachers and try and put in place sort of measures which can improve their well-being and their mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, the, the, the ob- there's going to be an obvious statement I'm about to say, but um, we talk about this in relation to schools quite often and usually when somebody makes a charity and i just said in your introduction that it's the only charity that does this kind of thing is that when people make charities to this extent there's an obvious need there i mean was that the it do you think does it there's an obvious need for for teachers to be to be taught and supported with this stuff and was that the original goal when setting up this organization yeah absolutely um originally started up as kind of benevolent funds so we often Mm -hmm a lot of work around financial assistance but a lot of the same themes 140 years ago sort of some of them relate today some of them have grown um as i say yeah we run a um, free confidential 24-hour um, helpline it's run by bacp accredited counselors um, and last year we saw about a 35 percent increase in teachers calling that so we've seen a really really sharp rise in the last sort of 12 months um oh. a wide range of, sort of personal and professional issues that people are calling up for um, we've also seen a significant gr- uh, rise of about 40% in terms of applications to our financial grants program. Um, and we're working in more and more schools directly to try and you know, put in place sort of more preventative measures um, because ultimately a lot of the stuff we do is at what we perhaps call the crisis end. Yeah. Um, and even last year we had about uh, 360 callers who were at risk of suicide. So wow. uh, uh, literally one caller a day. Um, so that's obviously extremely alarming for us as a charity. Um, yeah. I think particularly for our research, we see, as well as the high levels of usage of our services, um, our research points towards a trend that is, is getting worse across the sector, and that's obviously alarming. Yeah. Hi, Richard. It's Ricky here. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, it was it was just just yesterday and you agreed to this, so thanks for the short notice. But um, well, ju- just following on from what you just saying there, because I also read on your website that you you're pre- you're predicting that by next year, what a third of education staff to leave. Um, what what further reasons can you pinpoint to the pinpoint to the, this, this sort of sharp rise? Yeah, well, again, as I'm 
sure you discussed in your show a lot, like mental health well-being is it's complex. Um, mm-hmm. It's not black and white. There's a range of factors. Um, mm-hmm. I guess as a charity, we, we sort of pocket it into three main areas. Um, there's clearly issues at what we maybe call a structural level um, in terms of, you know, growing accountability measures, lack of mm-hmm. government funding, um, you know, increasing demands around workload, offset, mm-hmm. all these types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, then I guess you've got stuff within the workplace. Um, I think there's an awful lot can be done um, in terms of things like leadership, line management, developing a positive culture, yeah. um, and the support services which are available in the workplace. Um, and then also there's the kind of individual factors. There's you know the responsibility of the individual to, I guess, get support at the earliest sign of poor well-being. Um, yep. And that's quite a big education piece we try and do because, as you kind of mentioned at the start of the interview, actually, you know, a lot of people don't have that training. They they don't have that mm. awareness of you know. Is increased um, classroom size a feature as well? Yeah, we see some of that in our in our research. Because um, I can imagine stress levels obviously um, rising sharply because of situations around that. Yeah, that's certainly that. Um, we also saw actually even in the last twelve months or so, we do an annual publication called the Teacher Wellbeing Index, mm-hmm. um, which sort of tracks the wellbeing and mental health sector over time. Um, we also saw quite a lot around student behaviour, um, mm-hmm. threats in the workplace, and instances like that have really grown in mm-hmm. the last couple of years. So again, these are all factors which can contribute to sort of increasing the risk of poor wellbeing and mental health. Mm-hmm. Do you think as well, because um, this is a good segue to, we had a, a lady called Maria on who deals with um, helping people uh, get back into work, and it's like for over 18s, and I guess like based on your sort of research that you've that you've done on the in this field because there's a couple of things that jump to my mind when we're talking about this is we were talking about the impact of social media um on 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 the you know the in terms of people um maybe like putting all their thoughts online and not like maybe actually like you know dealing with it in the real world or maybe maybe being a little bit more passive in terms of dealing with like you know their mental health and their well-being is 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 there a correlation there in in some of the stuff that you found we've not done any specific research around that. Um, as I say, we still, the helpline has seen quite sharp rises in the last year, so I guess we've kind of also seen people are looking to access support. But yeah. In our mind, it's it's a bit too late. Um, but there's no doubt around things like social media and stuff, it, it that there are certain aspects of that which can sort of trigger anxiety and depression, and again, we've seen quite sharp rises in that mm-hmm. amongst the professions. So um, I, I think it's it's good actually in some sense we do speak to sort of teachers who use social media and it provides quite a supportive community yeah. so again there are positive examples of absolutely sort of improved mental health but um also it can yeah it can cause other issues yeah and um, richard um so we're going to be talking more about uh, with our next guest as well regarding um in terms of uh teachers and mental health first aid in schools and so forth and we've talked before about on our show regarding schools having sort of in-house counsellors access for students with regards to their well-being is there an argument there to to have that sort of services there for teachers as well or is there is it is it would there be a stigma around that hence why they, they come to you guys i think there potentially might be a stigma um as i say just to sort of put it in context i think in america around 40 percent of teachers receive what we'd call sort of regular counselling mm-hmm. um, we know in this country there is stigma to the degree that you know teachers will act, wait until the very last moment before they access support um, mm-hmm. I think a large reason behind that is because they feel um, a real commitment to the pupils they're teaching um, 
So I think they they ultimately try and put themselves last, but we know that in the long term that impact is going to be greater on the people if they, they get mm-hmm. to the stage of, sort of crisis mental health. Um, but no, we certainly endorse things like um, mental health first aid training. Um, mm-hmm. We also currently will do a lot on the policy side in trying to work with um, teacher training providers yeah. um, because we know for NQTs and those who have been working in education for under five years are about 25% more likely to experience a mental health problem wow, than okay. their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously led to quite a big recruitment retention crisis amongst that, that mm-hmm. group in terms of teachers. So we're actually calling within initial teacher training for there to be more sort of content around emotional intelligence, around resilience training, around when and where to access support. Because what we're finding is teachers are going to the classroom with you know, really excellent subject knowledge, great understanding of the curriculum, um, but where they're actually struggling is around some of those things like controlling workload, managing student behaviour, um, managing relationships with you know, line managers and leadership and stuff like that. So um, we'd like to just see a bit more of a focus um, within initial teacher training. And there's some fantastic examples of providers who are doing that at the minute. Um, and there's some fantastic examples of schools all across the country, and particularly we work with some in the northeast where, um, you know, they're, they're brilliant, brilliant examples of how you can create a positive culture in a workplace, mm-hmm. how the role of leadership and line management and how if you get those fundamental things right, um, it can have such a big impact on reducing mm-hmm. the risk of poor well-being. Great. Well, uh, Richard, that's uh, fantastic talking to you. And I mean, um, one of my final questions was going to be how to summarize, you know, what, what, how can we improve this? And you've kind of summarized it at the end by saying, I, I, and I, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that I thought one of the, the best points you made is that, you know, like mental health, it's a complicated issue. So it sounds like to me, it's a number of factors. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess in our sector, that's a point where you always try and push home. Um, there is sometimes the, the belief, you know, Work-related stress is the only cause of mental health, but actually, what we find through our helpline and through our, you know, the employee assistance program we run is, um, you know, it's a lot of time it's to do with personal issues and this belief that you can just flick a switch when you mm-hmm. enter the school gates is completely, you know, incorrect, and the, the yeah. research supports that. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really complex mix of factors. Um, and we work quite hard, you know, with the sector to try and map that out. Great. Well, continued continued success with your work. And I mean, considering it's the, the only charity that exists doing this, and we've talked about this, you know, knowing teachers, and we've had people on uh, talking about, you know, how to make the school system better and related to mental health. It's a wonderful idea because obviously people talk about students in, in, in particular and say about what mental health that they need and the help that they need. But the fact that the teachers are the ones that, you know, are, are helping them figure out things and whatnot. So they need help just as much. So it's pleasing to hear that you're doing something as great as this. So continued success. Success, Richard, and thank you so much for talking yeah. to us. Thanks very much. And just a quick message to any educators out there who want support, they can call 08000 562 561. We're here 24-7-365. Excellent. Great. Excellent. Thanks, Richard. Have thanks a good rest much. of the Bye. day, and thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Richard. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Wow, fantastic. Sorry if you've heard, them, uh, heard that flickering. It's because... Um, uh, Ben's been ringing. I forgot that it did that. <laughs> so yeah. So we'll have to. Um, uh, we'll take a quick break now. Um, just play some ads very uh, quickly. Well, actually, we don't need to play ads. We'll just play a quick song. Uh, I'll just find something really, really uh, short. Uh, there you go. Break away by Tracy Ullman.
Wow, that's a, that's a blast from the past. Um, so yeah, we're going to play that, and uh, hopefully we'll answer Ben West, who's a very good segue because it's related to what yeah, we were just absolutely. talking about, yeah. um, how his brother Sam committed suicide, who was a teacher. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk to Ben uh, right now, and I'm uh, sorry. Wasn't it a pupil? I wasn't a teacher. It was a pupil. Sorry, but yeah. But the idea is just to help teachers with mental health. Sorry, that's that's what I meant. That's what I meant to say. Thanks, Ricky, for correcting me. Um, so yeah, so then we're going to play uh, Breakaway by Tracy Ullman. To you, thank you for Richard for coming on. That was really interesting. Thank you for Mia so far. And then we got Kirsty uh, ringing a little bit later than half past now because we're a little bit behind. But anyway, yes, yeah, so this is Breakaway by Tracy Ullman, and we'll be right back hopefully to talk to Ben West um, right after these messages.
Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentally Sound here on Space FM 98.8 FM. We're live in the studio with myself and Ricky, obviously. Huge thank you to Richard Faulkner from the Educate and Support Partnership, which is a, such a fantastic idea. And obviously, um, I do, as, as, I t- as we touched on in the interview, I do think that teachers are not supported enough. Um, and I do think it's... I uh, think it's interesting because we've talked about, you know, with um, pupils and mental well-being at school. Yes. And the call for, like, you know, in-house counselling <coughs> and things. But what about teachers as well? Because I, well, wonder, that's what I was saying, yeah. I wonder yeah. if, like, whether... I think we talked before, like, with Children's Northeast and so forth, that, you know, teachers have a, such a more um, demanding job nowadays where they have to, like, find signs of... Of, of well-being that something might be going on at home that that you know doesn't get reported to so they have to check for things like malnutrition or stuff like that so um oh, i wouldn't be surprised he's drinking now should yeah. we just take it on the air uh, uh i'll just take it on the air uh, hello hello is that ben hi is it okay if we put you straight on the air because we're on now it's <laughs> <laughs> so, okay two two seconds so we're gonna put you on now Okay, uh, Ben, can you hear us? I can, yeah. Hello, sir. Sorry, um, I think there was some sort of issue because we had a we had a um, phone interview person on before, so you were probably on yeah, hold for a while. Yeah, so yeah, beat, yeah, yeah. Apologies for that. Um, <laughs> but right, yeah, man. so we'll, we'll we'll crowbar you in now for the next ten minutes if that's okay. Yeah, awesome. Um, actually, what's really useful to provide you the context because obviously our listeners would have just heard this is um, we had a um, a guy named Richard Faulkner on who actually um, educate, uh, runs a, an organization called Education Support Partnership, which is to okay. support teachers with mental health issues, uh, to, with, to oh, help yeah, with mental good. health problems. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, this is a good segue because we've yeah. we, we've mm-hmm. talked about we've talked we we talked about okay. you um, being on the show and um, talking okay. about your brother. Um, so yeah. do you want to tell the audience and whatnot? Um, you know what um, about that situation? Um, is yeah, is, is comforting I mean, as you? That shouldn't uh, be too much of a big big deal to, mm-hmm. to me. I can talk about that. Okay. Um, obviously, like not concentrate on that because that's not what we want to do. We're trying to concentrate on what we've done since that. But yeah, but yeah, yeah okay, we'll we move on. We'll move on to the other stuff as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And apologies for. For, well, for calling now instead of. Nah, it's okay. We'll buy you in. We'll, we'll, unfortunately, you have to give you less time now, but we'll we'll try our best. Okay. Um, um, okay. But, well, yeah. that's, that's very kind. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. That's okay. That's my fault. Um, so the situation is um, so so as as we were touching on, so then um, you are involved in a campaign uh, in the government to basically um, train teachers in mental health aid so um they can help prevent you know situations spiraling out of control um and it's in relation to your brother sam um so do you want to talk to us about that yeah exactly so um uh, with regards to teacher training yes well you know this we finished our walk and we went you know this this can't be the end of of what we're doing we need to keep this going so Mm -hmm. we said right we're going to start a petition to make mental health first aid um, a compulsory part of teacher training, mm-hmm. and initially it was kind of a we're going to go and, and try and get the government to make it, you know, to bring in legislation and try and and induce it that way. But actually now we're moving more towards uh, approaching universities and, and faculties of, of yeah. teach, uh, that offer teacher training and trying to get them, we're trying to get them to put on the course um, because obviously they have the resources to actually you know put it on because obviously the government have their own plan with what they want to do with mental health first aid so obviously they want to try and put one mental health first aider in a school and try and get all schools covered like that but yeah you know I, I don't think that one is enough and i think you know getting all teachers trained and making the knowledge broad is probably the best way of doing this so yeah so that's that the uh the campaign for that one. 
Mm. So it's been it's been it's been exactly a year, hasn't it, since uh, you, you lost your brother Sam? Um, how long after you know, obviously with the ordeal and everything, did you feel inspired that you have to do something? What what's what what sort of got the ball rolling, so to speak? Um, that's interesting, actually, because it was only about three weeks afterwards. So, um, yeah, I mean, so he died on Sunday, and I didn't eat. I wasn't, you know, it was really, really, really awful time for me. And yeah. all my friends kind of came around around me, and we, they took me out for a Wagamama's, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I'd eaten anything. And I, I remember sitting there and going, and that was the first moment I thought, oh, maybe we could, you know, start campaigning. Maybe we could do like a an event, and that kind of took over my mind and I kept thinking about it and then on a on a train to London about it was about three weeks after it happened um I just sent a message to our, our Facebook group chat going don't want us to do a um a charity walk to try and raise some money try and raise some awareness more importantly for teenage mental health and um and that kind of snowballed into what became Project Walk Talk so that was the you know that was the start of, of all of this and it was only about three weeks after it happened hmm. I guess then it, it helped sort of uh you channel all your kind of uh, feelings, emotions-wise, in, into this such a, into sort of moving this campaign on. So, was it? Did it become, in a way, a sort of therapeutic thing to be involved with as well? Yes, absolutely. It was. It started off as a very, very selfish thing for me. Um, it was purely to give myself something to do, yeah. to get myself away from everything, give myself something to think about. So in the start, it was solely for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And obviously that's changed now, you know, I'm not not just doing it so I can feel comfortable. But it was that. It was, you know, I was at a time where I was revising for my Mm -hmm. A-levels. I was revising for A-levels. I was in this horrible, horrible place. And I just needed something to go, some some sort of hope, you know. You can Mm -hmm. come out and you can... You can focus your attention on this project, and you've got all your mates around you, and you're you're working towards this one goal. You're really passionate about it. Obviously, you're going to be passionate mm-hmm. about it, but it gives you that thing to to kind of concentrate on. And yes, absolutely, it was very very therapeutic mm-hmm. for me. And I think that was part of of how I've how I've recovered so quickly. And I mean, I'm still recovering, but mm-hmm. you know, I've recovered as quickly as I have, and I've been able to open up so easily about all of this. I think it's because of um, how quickly I started campaigning and mm. and how my friends kind of gathered around me and, and supported that idea. And consequently, you would undoubtedly have met others who've gone through the same experiences you and your family have. Yes, absolutely. A lot of people, not just from suicide, but a huge amount of people that have, have suffered from grief. And that is mm. one of the most extraordinary things that has come out of this year is the, the people I've met. I mean, there are some really, really incredible people out there, and it's only when you you start digging that you realise, wow, sure. some people are really incredible. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, one of the, the the nice things about doing this show is that I think um, you often find that people who do some extraordinary stuff and and start a project as as good as you, as yourself is that it always comes out as something you know obviously very um, um, you know horrible, but mm. there's there's a good. The, I guess it, like you were just describing so eloquently is the is the idea of that something good coming out of a terrible situation yeah. is that fair to yeah. say? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, I mm-hmm. think I've been put in an awful, awful, awful situation, one of the worst situations anyone yeah. could ever be put in. Mm-hmm. And I think it was important for me to go, um, we've got to try and, and turn this around and get at least something positive out of it. And and it was exactly that. I remember someone told me um, once, I think it was about a couple of months ago, someone said, you, you'll know when you've succeeded with this um, awareness you'll know when you've succeeded with this campaign when you can talk about what happened 
and you can talk about yeah. the death and that situation that night and then be able to smile about it because he said, you know, once you be able to smile about it, you know that that event, although it was horrific, has inspired mm. all of this um, this campaigning afterwards. Mm. And he said, if you mm. can smile about it and knowing that you've done something good, then that's a success. And, you know, that's, that's where I'm going. That's hopefully what I'm going to try and achieve. But absolutely... Um, trying to make something good come out of this is 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 exactly what we need to do because I mean as I said it's a horrible horrible situation so any glimmer of of positivity that we can get out of it is is a success. It's obviously, in my eyes. A, it's obviously a good way to honour his memory as well. I mean that's yeah. an obvious thing to say, but it yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so just that well, is basically all we're doing is is for him, you know, in his memory and and um, and yeah, exactly. What what feedback have you had from teachers when you've sort of consulted with them? I imagine most of it's positive, yeah. Yeah, so I get a lot of I've had a lot of messages from teachers being absolutely yes, we should have this training. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have this training and all this like, you know, I've seen students suffering and mm-hmm. and not had the confidence to approach them because they didn't know what to say and that whole thing about not wanting to say anything because you say the wrong thing. So I've had a, ma- a really good um, response to this petition and the campaign. But right. also, um, notably, a number of teachers have gone, well, teachers have so much work on anyway. Teachers yeah. have so much responsibility. Teachers have so much stress. And I know you were talking about, just before I came on, about um, yeah. helping teachers' mental health. Just had a conversation. And, on that, in yeah. response to that, I'd say, you know, we're, we're giving t- teachers, if this works, we're giving teachers training in mental health first aid to an extent. Um, and I think that's, that is not only useful for the students, that is useful for the teachers as Definitely. well. As colleagues, they can support each other. Mm. Um, but also, coming back to this whole teachers have too much responsibility and teachers are already overworked, well, it is only optional. Like We're giving them the training, we're giving them the awareness, and whether they use it or not, that is completely up to them. They can have this training and then completely forget about it and, and never use it. Mm-hmm. Or you get that one teacher that spots something and and wants to help and then can fall back on what you've been taught taught um it, during yeah. teacher training and i think that could really really help yeah um i think the final thing uh, ben because unfortunately we um we have another uh, guest waiting is to just yeah, uh, i wanted to just ask um this is something that we preach on the show all the time i mean we don't go as far as the, i wouldn't say we campaign as as well as you do but we took we've been on the the air a few years now and we and we 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 talk a hell of a lot about this idea of mental health being treated the same as physical health in the sense of the mm. in a young in the young schools um, the, the the argument we make, for example, is like sex education is that even if you don't care about mental health, there's a mental health aspect to to having sex with someone. It's it's an it's an emotional it's an emotional commitment, no matter how how small that commitment can be. So, do you agree in the principle of what we talk about all the time is that mental health should be taught and discussed far sooner than necessarily like even wait until university where it's only touched upon? Do you agree with that premise? Yeah. Absolutely. I think if we started teaching that in um, in schools and having, you know, there's a lot of, of people trying to get um, mindfulness and, and all that started to, to be taught in schools, even if it's just a little bit every term. I think, yeah, it could really, really help. Obviously, this whole physical health, mental health thing, I think they are, they should be treated very, very um, similarly. I think they're, they're not, you know, physical health to an extent is doesn't really have a stigma and, and mental health definitely does um but yeah i think you're right i think teaching it in schools and teaching it at a younger age and and getting that acceptance for mental health not only prepares people for their own problems that they're going to face and adversities that will come up but also um exactly it enables the awareness and and 
we're making it more accepted if you start teaching mental health at a younger age. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, it's fantastic finally to get a chance to talk to you, Ben. Um, just finally, um, if anyone wants more information or can help get involved in your campaign, like, where can people go? Yes. So if you go online to benwest.org.uk, you can find all of the information about me and, and everything I'm doing. And you can also join our new thing, which is called the Pink Army. It's basically a massive, massive group of people that are all you know, like-minded people that are all part of our, our army because obviously our colour from the beginning is being pink. So we thought, yes, make this pink army full of Great. full of people that that um, are are thinking along the same lines. And if people type in hashtag Save Our Students, they'll they'll find the petition, won't they? And and uh, who you yep. are and you, campaign. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to sign the petition, you can go to change.org and then search for Save I, I signed it. That's how I met you. So I'll be retweeting as well. So yeah, awesome. thanks, thanks, Thank thanks, you. thanks, Ben. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Um, thank you for for rearranging the time. It's okay about the 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 the, the, the like um, mix up or whatever yeah, it is. Thank I'll you so much for being on, and I uh, hope to we'll great hope campaign, to, yeah, yeah great campaign. Continue the good work, and hopefully we'll get to speak to you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks. Cheers, Take bye. care. Thanks. Bye bye. Great. Right. Well, we re- desperately need to um, play some ads right now because we have Kirsty Waiton, who was the actress that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. So we're going to take a break right now and play "Jealous Guy" by Roxy Music, great song, and then we'll be right oh, back with um, with Kirsty right after these messages. The for the community, by the community. Spice FM, Spice FM will be celebrating Mahmoud Rafi's birthday once again on Christmas Eve this year from 11 to 2. Join the oldest gold host Masood with a selection of Rafi's greatest hits. Welcome to your community announcement answer machine. To broadcast your community announcement on Spice FM free of charge, call 0191273988. Select option 3 and record your message. No more messages. Sick of the same old radio sound? <sighs> then you need vibrant radio. Spice up your life. Spice FM, 98.8 FM. I was dreaming of the past And my heart being I began to lose control I began to lose control I didn't mean to hurt you I'm sorry that I made you cry I didn't mean to hurt you I was feeling insecure You might not love me anymore I was shivering inside 
Don't you just love a little bit of Roxy music? Ricky's like so happy with me right now. He thinks that I've just like picked the greatest track of all time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was Jealous Guy with Roxy music. Well, one of the best covers of all time. Yeah, best covers we should say. Yeah, but we've, I've accidentally realised I've been playing a lot of covers. Um, you know, because obviously, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah with Dave, David Lee Roth doing uh, California Girl. Um, and yeah, so huge thank you so far to Ben. Uh, so we, you just heard Ben West on the phone there uh, talking about his brother Sam and the campaign. So huge thank you to him for being so upfront. Um, to Marie. Maria uh, Baranowska, who's um, a good friend of the show about moving on Tiny and Wea, which is a service I'm thinking about using. Um, and obviously to Richard Faulkner, who is um, from the Head of Policy at Education Support Partnership, um, for talking about uh, assisting in well-being and mental health um support for teachers um, which is obviously a good reference to Ben who was talking about Sam it also includes by the way prison prison lecturers as well Ah. because the teachers in prison as well you can imagine the tough environment yeah you would think that would be again a good example of where you would think that would be obvious and yet you know so 
So as per usual, jam pack show. Huge credit goes to Ricky um, for for booting the guests. And our next guest, who's waiting very patiently on the phone, who's apparently in a car, uh, which is going to be interesting as well, is Kirsty, um, who's a film, television, and theatre actress. Um, she's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Some of the stuff which my mom's going to be really happy about because a lot of these programs, um, my mom's a huge fan of. Um, so yeah, we'll talk to her about that as well as a whole bunch of stuff related to mental health as well. Um, so hello, Kirsty. Can you hear us? Okay. I can, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, you sound very clear. If you are, are you still in the car? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It sound. It doesn't I'm sound it, so it's fine. I need to make that clear. I'm yes, you're not driving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No policeman. Don't phone us. She's fine. She's not a passenger. It's all okay. Um, but yeah, so um, it's lovely to have you on. I know you. There was a an outside chance you would have been on before, so it's really pleased mm. to get you on finally. Um, so how are you, um, being that we do a mental health show, I guess the most appropriate question we always ask guests is how are you? How are you doing? How has things been so far in two thousand and nineteen? Yeah, yeah. In general, just in general, yeah. how are you feeling? Are you doing okay? Yeah, yeah I feel I feel very good at, at this point in my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I've learned as I've got older. I've been to um, look after my mental health and guard my mental health. I like, probably didn't when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but I've always really looked after my physical health. I think that's quite a British thing. So we still forget your mental health and yeah. assume that that you only need to do something about it when you hit crisis point. And actually, I, I sort of strongly believe in approaching it the other way around. You know that it needs to be a kind of continuous sort of approach to your mental health. Yeah, we actually. So um, as I've got older, I've got much better at doing that. I suppose it's yeah. On the side to kind of make sure I'm doing things to make sure I'm okay. Yeah, um, I was uh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was, I was all I was going to yeah. add was that um, on our show we um, we joke that we have like you know one of them flickering lights like in Las Vegas with the word prevention just flashing constantly because we're a big um, yeah. we're a big fan on this show of of, mention, of seeing prevention causes a lot of stuff not becoming long term obviously. So yeah. um, so is that a premise you sort of you you sounds like you were basically you know agreeing with that premise of, of prevention yeah, is that I kind think, of key? I think, um, things are definitely changing, which I'm really. I'm really relieved about and uh, I work a lot with younger people obviously I meet a lot of younger actors and I coach a lot of younger actors and I notice generally the younger generation are not only a lot more open about talking about mental health so it takes the stigma and the shame out of it but they guard their mental health a lot more closely Yeah. Um, and I think for me I think if we treat it the same as we treat our physical health there has to be you have to like understand the input of like if I was to eat a load of sugar or smoke a lot or drink a lot, there would be um, a cost on my physical health yeah. there. Well, yeah. I, I sort of look at my mental health the same. So if I'm not looking after myself, if I'm not making sure that I take time out to have some peace and quiet, whether that be turn my phone off, whether it be some sort of meditation, which for me can be anything from sort of traditional meditation to running i like knitting i like mm-hmm. paddle boarding all these different sort of things mm-hmm. um if i'm not doing that regularly then i will notice an increase in stress level mm-hmm. um and then life has a funny way doesn't it of throwing things at you that you are not prepared for um either traumatic events or life-changing events mm-hmm. um that if i'm in a good place beforehand then i'm more equipped to deal with those things you know yeah. um so yeah, I kind of see it as a continuous care package. I suppose that's yeah. the best way of. Hi, Kirsty. Uh, it's uh, Ricky here. How are you, Kirsty? Hello. Hi, it's yeah, Ricky can here. You hear me? Hi, yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> it's Ricky. I'm just saying it's so nice to talk to you now after sort of weeks of messaging back and forth. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are you doing? Great. 
Yep. All right. good. Yeah. So um yeah how I how I got to um go to for you to come on to show was I I sort of saw your um post that you did for the Huffington Huffington Post the, the article you and I thought it was very powerful and and you agreed to come on and, and talk so in, in some relevance to what you wrote but a lot of it a lot of it was about your growing up and issues yeah. regarding sort of mental health within the household and the knock-on effects and you you mentioned things like bullying you mentioned your father um how prevalent um have all those things been into so what you what you sort of said to our listeners now in terms of what you do now how you look after yourself was there a point um, of realization or, yeah. or did it just sort of come gradually yeah so i hit um it's it's weird really because i suppose great my dad had um accumulative sort of mental health problems and um, he was in the forces he was a naval officer and he joined up when he was really young um and i think he'd had a lot of childhood trauma that he hadn't dealt with all mm. these things the failure of his first marriage was probably the biggest instigator of him starting to decline mm-hmm. um and back in those days um obviously the mental health provisions were much smaller nobody was really talking about it my dad was this big kind of good-looking alpha male who was a real high achiever and had come from nothing and achieved all that himself. So yeah. um, he had me- immense amounts of pride. I think as soon as his mental health started to deteriorate, that didn't match up with how he saw himself. Yeah. Um, and I was born into him fluctuating between um, good patches and then really bad crisis patches. So um, he's diagnosed with various different things, from bipolar disorder to um, to depression, anxiety, at one point PTSD, but that, because they were kind of, I think it was sort of a new uh, in buzzword that they were doing. Lots you used of to call it shell shock in those days, I believe, yeah? Well, no, he had, he had his active service, as far as I know, um, was in Korea. Now, I don't really, I'm not really interested in uh, military movements or what Mm -hmm. people saw Mm. um, and how, there's this really common misconception, I think, with uh, military mental health, that you have to have seen somebody blown up in front of you in order to suffer any kind of mental health issue. And I think like every other person uh, on this planet, it's a cumulative, isn't it? It's kind of lots of different things pulled together. And if you keep um, pushing them under, they sort of boil up like a pressure cooker, which mm. I think is what happened to my dad. Um, and he was in and out of mental hospitals or mental institutions through my childhood. Um, he medicated himself. He was given some medication, but he hated it. I think it was probably back in the 70s and 80s that probably wasn't great either. Um, and he would self-medicate with alcohol. And uh, when I was um, I think about five and a half, six, he disappeared at sea. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that was, we know he'd been drinking on ship. Mm. So whether that was due to him jumping or whether he fell and slipped, we, we won't ever know really. Um, so I grew up in a very difficult um, environment around mental health. And I think when I was little, I, well, I know I, I, had, I was diagnosed with anxiety um, just after he died he was his body was missing for a year so there wasn't really any closure around that either and as a kid i i think i was in permanent sort of state of anxiety and and how grown up with that not really i thought 
Uh, Kirsty, you're um, you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know whether or not you're going for a tunnel or something like that. But um, yeah, we're having a hard time hearing you. So maybe not burning out. I just oh, you're back. I mean, I I find we it's funny because social media has been actually like a, a theme we weren't expecting. But during the guests who've been on this show, we've talked about social media quite a lot on today's show, mm-hmm. and um, and you, I think as well, what you're describing is it's a distraction from your actual how you are feeling. So it's another yep. way of not actually dealing with what it is that you're feeling. And like you yep. said, I think I mean, uh, just to be uh, uh, frank with you, Casey, like so, I have a bipolar disorder, and yep. and something that. Uh, it was unbelievable. That's why I was just sitting and listening because the way you described about your dad is very similar to what my dad was like. Um, my my right. dad was very. Um, I mean, what, what did, he didn't do any military stuff, but my dad was. Um, you know, a very like as you said, a very prideful man. Didn't um, you know? Didn't want to deal with how he felt. Um, I only found out when I started to have issues that my mom said he was incredibly depressed when they first met. Um, right. and you know I started to then and then when I realized going through my therapy sessions that it's remarkable how similar your story sounded to mine because my mom was the calm loving would do anything for our children type parent and my dad was the emotionally unavailable um, you know chaos um, dealing with his mental health through alcohol exactly like you described yeah. so um, it's not surprising when I looked back at my childhood and my sort of early teens and um, realize that it's no wonder I had a, a you know a, a mind that turned into a very um a very mood orientated one because I was drastically yeah. dealt with too many so many different moods mood swings in in my in my uh, household um, um so and so yeah the problem is I think as a child especially growing up around anyone who 
uh, going through addiction. Yep. As a child, you um, you learn to accept that you that your needs always come second. Yeah, exactly. Because they really do, and you're having to um, parent your own parent constantly. Yes. You're having to. Um, I mean, it's no wonder in some ways <laughs> I've become an actor because you're permanently auditioning to mm-hmm. keep their interest, to keep their love, to keep their affection, yep. to keep them happy, to stop them from going through another spell, to stop them crying. To stop... I mean, you're you're in permanent performance mode. Yeah. And those were lessons that I that went into me from a really le- early age. That, my God, have they been really hard for me to untangle as an adult? Um, and if and have really impacted on my personal relationships, on my intimate relationships. I've had to take, that's the hard stuff for me, that like mm. unlearning those lessons. Yeah. And my um, culpability in enabling other people. Because it's really easy when you've grown up in that kind of, do they call it the, is it the drama triangle or something? It's to do with enabling addicts. Yeah. Um, that when you've, when you've been recruited in that role <laughs> as such a, a small person, mm-hmm. that you then go on later in life to enable people and, and yet you, you come into situations where you think, well, that's not fair, you know, I've been taken advantage of, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So anyway, you sit back and you think, no, I fully went into this and enabled that to happen. Yep. Yeah, you that's think, hard, yeah, hard it's very hard because it realizes that like you're part, you're, you know, on, on a very basic extent you're partly responsible for it happening yeah you're subconsciously yeah. you're enabling that situation to reoccur maybe not with mm-hmm. the same people yep but it's a pattern that happens over and over and mm-hmm. you know and then looking at my culpability in if, if i've been surrounded by emotionally unavailable parents yeah because um, my mum was quite anxious as well bless her she's she's very different from my father she's so uh, like yours calm but even then I think you know if they're dealing as a mum dealing with a husband who's really ill and, and three kids and then grieving for her husband yeah. I was watching her go through a lot of well. course yeah so mm. I've had to really take a look at myself as an adult and realize that I've been quite emotionally unavailable to people in my life too mm-hmm. and the only thing that I haven't been is my work it's like I've saved all my emotions for my job. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say because you, you said it. You said it. I mean, I, I was I was trying to gauge whether you said it in a kind of jovial, jokey kind of way. But I mean, the I mean, forgive me if this is an obvious. I I, I don't want it to be sound like a stereotype or anything, but it it comes across when you talk to us that that maybe was it you're acting an escapism in any way or, or yeah. a, like a freedom of expression? Is that a better way of phrasing it when you first started? When I was little, because mm-hmm. um, it's all I've ever wanted to do. And in fact, my dad kind of saw it in me. He was very artistic himself. Mm-hmm. He kind of encouraged me to do it. He was of Irish heritage. His parents were Irish. Yeah. And he was a scouser. So there was like loads of instruments in the house, <laughs> singing like Irish songs and stuff. Sounds fun. <laughs> he, he was determined that I would be some kind of performer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when he died, obviously that stuck because some of my best memories with my dad are him taking me to gigs. He took me to the spinners and all that kind of stuff. Cool. And so I think there's a big part of me that wanted to kind of make him happy by doing yeah. it. And then, of course, it becomes such a difficult job to continue that I, I, it must be more about me because you wouldn't continue, you wouldn't do this job for anyone else. But-
Don't you just love a little bit of Roxy music? Ricky's like so happy with me right now. He thinks that I've just like picked the greatest track of all time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was Jealous Guy with Roxy music. Well, one of the best covers of all time. Yeah, best covers we should say. Yeah, but we've I've accidentally realised I've been playing a lot of covers. Um, you know, because obviously yeah, you know, yeah, yeah with Dave, David Lee Roth doing uh, California Girl. Um, and yeah, so huge thank you so far to Ben. Uh, so we you just heard Ben West on the phone there uh, talking about his brother Sam and the campaign. So huge thank you to him for being so upfront. Um, to Marie. Maria uh, Baranowska, who's um, a good friend of the show about moving on Tiny and Weir, which is a service I'm thinking about using. Um, and obviously to Richard Faulkner, who is um, from the po- Head of Policy at Education Support Partnership, um, for talking about uh, assisting in well-being and mental health um support for teachers um, which is obviously a good reference to Ben who was talking about Sam it also includes by the way prison prison lecturers as well Ah. because the teachers in prison as well you can imagine a tough environment yeah you would think that would again a good example of where you would think that would be obvious and yet you know so so as you, per usual jam pack show huge credit goes to Ricky um, for, for booking the guests and our next guest who's working very patiently on the phone who's apparently in a car uh, which is going to be interesting as well is Kirsty um, who's a film television and theatre actress um, she's been in a whole bunch of stuff some of the stuff which my mom's going to be really happy about because a lot of these programs um, my mom's a huge fan of um, so yeah, we'll talk to her about that as well as a whole bunch of stuff related to mental health as well um, so hello Kirsty can you hear us okay I can, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, you sound very clear. If you are, are you still in the car? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds. It doesn't I'm sound driving. it, so it's fine. Yes, you're not driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no policeman. Don't phone us. She's fine. She's not a passenger. It's all okay. Um, but yeah, so um, it's lovely to have you on. I know you. There was a an outside chance you would have been on before, so it's really pleased mm. to get you on finally. Um, so, how you, um, being that we do a mental health show, I guess the most appropriate question we always ask guests is, how are you? How are you doing? How has things been so far? In yeah, 2019. Uh, in terms of mental health. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in general, just in general, yeah. how are you feeling? Are you doing okay? Yeah, yeah I, feel, I feel very good at, at this point in my life, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned as I've got older, I think, to um, look after my mental health and guard my mental health. I, I probably didn't when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but I've always really looked after my physical health. I think that's quite a British thing, so we sort of forget your mental health. And yeah assume that, that you only need to do something about it when you hit crisis point and actually I, I sort of strongly believe in approaching it the other way around you know that it needs to be a kind of continuous sort of approach to your mental health yeah we actually so um, as I've got older I've got much better at doing that I suppose well. yeah on the side to kind of make sure I'm doing things to make sure I'm okay yeah, um, I was uh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was, I was all I was going to yeah. add was that um, on our show we um, we joke that we have like you know one of them flickering lights like in Las Vegas with the word prevention just flashing constantly because we're a big um, yeah. we're a big fan on this show of of, men- of seeing prevention causes a lot of stuff not becoming long term obviously. So yeah. um, so is that a premise you sort of agree- you, you sounds like you were basically you know ag- agreeing with that premise of, of prevention yeah, is that I, kind I of think, key? Um, things are definitely changing, which I'm really. I'm really relieved about and uh, I work a lot with younger people obviously I meet a lot of younger actors and I coach a lot of younger actors and I notice generally the younger generation are not only a lot more open about talking about mental health so it takes the stigma and the shame out of it but they guard their mental health a lot more closely Yeah. Um, and I think for me I think if we treat it the same as we treat our physical health there has to be you have to like understand the input of like if I was to eat a load of sugar or smoke a lot or drink a lot, there would be um, a cost on my physical health. Yeah. There, well, yeah. I, I sort of 
I've got my mental health the same. So if I'm not looking after myself, if I'm not making sure that I take time out to have some peace and quiet, whether that be turn my phone off, whether it be some sort of meditation, which for me can be anything from sort of traditional meditation to running. I like knitting. I like mm-hmm. paddle boarding, all these different sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not doing that regularly, then I will notice an increase in stress level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then life has a funny way, doesn't it, of throwing things at you that you are not prepared for, um, either traumatic events or life-changing events. Mm-hmm. Um, that if I'm in a good place beforehand, then I'm more equipped to deal with those things. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of see it as a continuous care package. I suppose that's yeah. the best way of. Hi, Kirsty. It's uh, Ricky here. How are you, Kirsty? Hello. Hi. It's yeah, Ricky can here. You hear me? Hi. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> it's Ricky. I'm just saying it's so nice to talk to you now after sort of weeks of messaging back and forth. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are you doing? Great. Yep, all right. good, yeah. So, um, yeah, how I how I got to um got to for you to come on to show was I I sort of saw your um post that you did for the Huffington Huffington Post the, the article you wrote, and I thought it was very powerful and and you agreed to come on and, and talk so in, in some relevance to what you wrote but a lot of it a lot of it was about your growing up and issues yeah. regarding sort of mental health within the household and the knock on effects and you you mentioned things like bullying. You mentioned your father. Um, how prevalent um, have all those things been into so what you what you sort of said to our listeners now in terms of what you do now, how you look after yourself? Was there a point um, of realization, or, yeah. or did it just sort of come gradually? Yeah. So I hit. Um, it's it's weird, really, because I suppose growing my dad had um, a cumulative sort of mental health problem. Um, he was in the forties. He was a naval officer. And he joined up when he was really young. Um, and I think he'd had a lot of childhood trauma that he hadn't dealt with, all mm. these different things. The failure of his first marriage was probably the biggest instigator of him starting to decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in those days, um, obviously the mental health provisions were much smaller. Nobody was really talking about it. My dad was this big kind of good-looking alpha male who was a real high achiever and had come from nothing and achieved all that himself. So um, he had immense amounts of pride. I think as soon as his mental health started to deteriorate, that didn't match up with how he saw himself. Mm, Um, And I was born into him fluctuating between um, good patches and then really bad crisis patches. So um, he was diagnosed with various different things, from bipolar disorder to... Um, to depression, anxiety, at one point PTSD, but that's because they were kind of, I think it was sort of a new uh, in buzzword that they were doing. Lots you used of to call it shell shock in those days, I believe, yeah? Well, no, he had he had his active service, as far as I know, um, was in Korea. Now, I don't really, I'm not really interested in uh, military movements or what mm-hmm. people saw mm. um, and how... There's this really common misconception, I think, with uh, military mental health, that you have to have seen somebody blown up in front of you in yeah, order to suffer any kind of mental health issue. And I think like every other person uh, on this planet, it's a cumulative, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of lots of different things pulled together. And if you keep um, pushing them under, they sort of boil up like a pressure cooker, which mm. I think is what happened to my dad. Um, and he was in and out of mental hospitals or mental institutions through my childhood um he 
medicated himself. He was given some medication, but he hated it. I think it was probably back in the 70s and 80s that probably wasn't great either. Um, and he would self-medicate with alcohol. And uh, when I was, um, I think, about five and a half, six, he disappeared at sea. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that was, we know he'd been drinking on ship. Mm. So whether that was due to him jumping or whether he fell and slipped, we, we won't ever know, really. Um, so I grew up in a very difficult um, environment around mental health. And I think when I was little, I, well, I know I, I, had, I was diagnosed with anxiety um, just after he died. He was, his body was missing for a year. So there wasn't really any closure around that either. And as a kid, I I think I was in permanent sort of state of anxiety. And and how I grown up with that, not really. I Uh, Kirsty, you're um, you're breaking up a little bit. I don't know whether or not you're going for a tunnel or something like that. But um, yeah, we're having a hard time hearing you. So maybe... Stop burning out. I I was having panic attacks a lot. And I was thinking, I can't. Surely I don't have to feel like this all the time because I'm knackered. Yeah. I'm upset. I can't really be present in the moment in anything. Mm. And that's when I started to look at how I wanted to live my life and how, you know, the choices I wanted to make around my health as a full package, you know, mentally and physically. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, I've taken lots of different approaches from, um, I have taken meds in my life, um, which I was really against when I was younger. And then I started taking them in my 30s and took them for about six years. And I took an SSRI, and I have to say it was absolutely brilliant. The first two, three weeks of that is hell. I hated it. Yeah. And as soon as I leveled off, probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. So I took that for five years, uh, slowly weaned myself off that. I've had different talking therapies. Um, but for me, it's an all-round package, as I said. So it's about what I put into my body, not drinking too much alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, eating good food, exercising, watching the right stuff, turning my phone off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think smartphones are a devil for our mental health. Yep. Couldn't agree um, more. So I turn, I turn mine off at about 9 o'clock at night and I don't turn it on again until 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I've had to be really strict with myself because like, you can find yourself just wasting as well hours of just gazing at dross, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and stuff that I'm sure subconsciously gives you really... Difficult messages that doesn't, that, you know, that don't necessarily sit that well with your self-esteem or your mental health or your outlook on the world. There can be a yeah. lot of doom and gloom and a lot mm-hmm. of kind of alarmist, sensationalist stuff on on uh, online, on the basically. So it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, online. Yeah, so I, you know, on Twitter, on on Instagram, all that sort of stuff. Well, actually, Instagram is mainly about what people look like, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, and that that again is not always great for you mental health there's a lot of comparison stuff going it also turn it off yeah it also i mean i i find we it's funny because social media has been actually like a, a theme we weren't expecting but during the guests who've been on this show mm-hmm. we've talked about social media quite a lot on today's show mm-hmm. and um and you i think as well what you're describing is it's a distraction from your actual how you are feeling so it's another yep. way of not actually dealing with what it is that you're feeling and like you yep. said i think i mean uh, just to be uh, uh, frank with you casey like so i have a bipolar disorder and yep. and something that 
uh, it was unbelievable. That's why I was just sitting and listening because the way you described about your dad is very similar to what my dad was like. Um, my my right. dad was very. Um, I mean, what, what did, he didn't do any military stuff, but my dad was. Um, you know, very like as you said, a very prideful man. Didn't um, you know? Didn't want to deal with how he felt. Um, I only found out when I started to have issues that my mom said he was incredibly depressed when they first met. Um, right. And you know, I started to then, and then when I realized going through my therapy sessions that it's remarkable how similar your story sounded to mine because my mom was the calm, loving, would do anything for our children type parent, and my dad was the emotionally unavailable um you know chaos um dealing with his mental health through alcohol exactly like you described yeah. so um it's not surprising when i looked back at my childhood and my sort of early teens and um realized that it's no wonder i had a, a you know a, a mind that turned into a very um a very mood orientated one because i was drastically yeah dealt with too many so many different moods mood swings in in my in my uh, household um um, so, and yeah. the problem is, I think, as a child, especially growing up around anyone who's uh, going through addiction, yep. as a child, you um, you learn to accept that you that your needs always come second. Exactly. Because they really do. And you're having to um, parent your own parent constantly. Yes. You're having to... Um, I mean, it's no wonder in some ways <laughs> I've become an actor because you're permanently auditioning to mm-hmm. keep their interest, to keep their love, to keep their affection, yep. to keep them happy, to stop them from going through another spell, to stop them crying. To stop... I mean, you're you're in permanent performance mode, yeah. and those were lessons that I that went into me from a really le- early age. That, my God, have they been really hard for me to untangle as an adult, um, and have and have really impacted on my personal relationships, on my intimate relationships. I've had to take. That's the hard stuff for me, that like unlearning those lessons yeah. and my um, culpability in enabling other people. Because it's really easy when you've grown up in that kind of, do they call it the, is it the drama triangle or something? It's to do with enabling addicts. Yeah. Um, that when you've, when you've been recruited in that role <laughs> as such a, a small person, mm-hmm. that you then go on later in life to enable people and, and yet you, you come into situations where you think well, that's not fair you know I've been taken advantage of blah 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 yep. so anyway you sit back and you think no I fully went into this and enabled that to happen yep yeah you that's think hard, yeah really it's very hard because it realizes that like you're part you're you know on on a very basic extent you're partly responsible for it happening yeah you're subconsciously yeah. you're enabling that situation to reoccur maybe not with mm-hmm. the same people yep but it's a pattern that happens over and over. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then looking at my culpability in if, if I'd been surrounded by emotionally unavailable parents. Yeah. Because um, my mum was quite anxious as well, bless her. She's she's very different from my father. She's so, uh, like yours, calm. But even then, I think, you know, if they're dealing, as a mum, dealing with a husband who's really ill and, and three kids and then grieving for her husband. Yeah. I was watching her go through a lot as Of well. course, yeah. So... Mm. I've had to really take a look at myself as an adult and realise that I've been quite emotionally unavailable to people in my life too. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I haven't been is my work. 
So it's like I've saved all my emotions for my job. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say because you said it. You, know? you said it. I mean, I, I was I was trying to gauge whether you said it in a kind of jovial, jokey kind of way. But I mean, the ov- I mean, forgive me if this is an obvious. I I, I, I don't want it to be sound like a stereotype or anything, but it it comes across when you talk to us that that maybe was it you're acting an escapism in any way or, or yeah. like a freedom of expression? Is that a better way of phrasing it when you first started? When I was little, because mm-hmm. um, it's all I've ever wanted to do. And in fact, my dad kind of saw it in me. He was very artistic himself. Mm-hmm. He kind of encouraged me to do it. He was of Irish heritage. His parents were Irish. Yeah. And he was a scouser. So there was like loads of instruments in the house, <laughs> singing like Irish songs and stuff. Sounds fun. <laughs> he was determined that I would be some kind of performer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when he died, obviously that stuck because some of my best memories with my dad are him taking me to gigs. He took me to the spinners and all that kind of stuff. Cool. And so I think there's a big part of me that wanted to kind of make him happy by doing yeah. it. And then, of course, it becomes such a difficult job to continue that I, I, it must be more about me because you wouldn't continue, you wouldn't do this job for anyone else but yourself. You wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't go through everything that you go through unless you really wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sidetracking you. Sorry. Um, so I I think as a kid, yes, it was about escapism for the emotions that I couldn't share at home. Yep. Um, and the emotions that I obviously, I think subconsciously, I didn't feel that there was any kind of platform. They were too scary for me to face as real. So yeah. you can play them out through someone else's narrative, can't you? Yeah. And they're always in a heightened form. That's what's so fun, I think, about acting is every you're always waiting for. I suppose in football terminology, the goal, aren't you? So you you go to real peaks of really heightened expression that, especially in British life, you just can't get away with. Mm-hmm. A lot of your earlier um, um, background, well, the backstory of what you talk to. I mean, I, I can relate a lot. I, I think that's why I got into down the road of being creative because I can't imagine any other way. Of where I can sort of express myself, that's why I sort of went down the road of art and design, and I can see how you, how acting has sort of been that escapism for you as well. Yeah. Um, but you you also mentioned the article. I remember you, you things regarding sort of um, bullying and feeling of in, in, inadequacy. Does that play into sort of what you do now? And and because I understand that you run workshops to help other people within your professions is that right up and coming um, ones no i i work um as an advocate for a domestic and sexual violence charity and stalking charity in hampshire right. mm-hmm. so i work um with them and i work with the police once a month in their patrol cars going out and risk assessing i've done uh, workshops for survivors a while ago right um to do with basically around physical confidence and just very basic stuff of trying to maintain eye contact together with someone without feeling intimidated, yeah. trying to change their body language and body posture, um, trying to get confidence back into their voice. Yeah. Often people's vocal ability gets affected um, when their self-esteem uh, takes a bashing. Mm. Um, and when you're in an abusive and coercive relationship for long enough, actually that, those are the things. So dropping your gaze, dropping your voice, uh, changing your body language are actually survival techniques. Those are the things that keep you safe. So it's so uh, the workshops that I did around unpicking that. And you get a sense um, of empowerment by doing that, uh, I imagine. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know, I don't think about it in the moment. I, I like seeing, I like seeing somebody sort of feel more content within themselves. But also I, just, I come from a family of public servants, so 
mm. it's sort of I'd get a caning if I didn't <laughs> if I didn't give something back from the <laughs> stuff that I do for a living. Yeah. So uh, I suppose that's my little bit of um, yeah, being able to sit around the dinner table and not uh, and not talk about tonsing on about acting really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's I funny because that was the next thing we we're going to ask you about, but <laughs> about some reacting and stuff because we haven't got to that. But um, because yeah, I'm just curious because um, so um, I mean, obviously people listening, I mean, because we 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 mentioned because uh, I always say who's on the show at the beginning of the show, um, which thought we we've been on since twelve, and um, just seeing some of the stuff that you've been on, um, and I'm just curious because I have I've been fortunate enough to work for the BBC before. Um, so I'm just curious as about like sort of like working on, for example, um, my, one of my mom's favorite shows, Doctors. So I feel like I have to ask you that. Oh yeah, <laughs> is what that uh, experience I've done, was I've like. Done five of them, I think, or six. Okay. I love doing them. Yeah. There's so there's so much fun. The team that they have in Birmingham are so um, it's like a family basically, and they mm-hmm. shoot really fast. Mm-hmm. They get a lot done. I think I did 19 scenes as my biggest day, which is. Usually you might cover three or four. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and they rehearse each one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, they're a great lot to work for. Does I the same really go for Emmerdale? Because I really like Birmingham as well as the city. I think it's great. Does right. the same go for Emmerdale? Because there's people in within my circles who watch that, and I know you've been in that. Yeah, I only did like I, I did really I did one or two episodes of Emmerdale, I think. So it's really brief my time there, but they're exactly the same kind of vibe of yeah. It, um, yeah, it's shot fairly fast not quite as fast as doctors mm-hmm. um but again just uh, like a big family really yeah like, i was yeah. gonna say because i think that's the obvious question to ask you because i've been in situations where if you go on like um shows particularly that have went on a long time so you've been on like casualty which has been around forever and obviously you mentioned emmerdale and uh, doctors have been on the air for quite a long time now like um do, do they go out i'm always curious as like being essentially like a guest star as it were and um, you know doing like a few episodes run or maybe one episode here or there is do they go out of their way to make you feel welcome and stuff because i imagine the turnover yeah, that's, so that's is, part yeah. i did midsummer murders for five years so my job was to do what they are doing which yeah. is to engage they call them guest leads yeah. so, so to engage a guest lead make them feel comfortable mm-hmm. so that they uh, can kind of run running because it's like any Acting's very similar to sport, and it's a team sport. Is that if you're not if you're not passing the ball properly, then things start to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So if mm. I believe anyway that you need right from kind of early on to start on a level playing field with and try and engage somebody else's trust and um, and then go from there and make it as comfortable and stress free as possible. Yeah, and it could be quite intimidating when. It's like any. It's like you start. You know that first day at school, or you starting a new job. Or actors do that every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, Particularly so, if you're going into an environment where, like, like I just said, where it's been you know established for a long period of time, and they all know each other and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. that's different than like you know if you're on a film or something where you're all getting to know each other. Yeah. It's like um completely different yeah, scenario. Yeah, but I think that um, I'm a great believer in the fact that you. You can rewrite a script if your if your anticipation is oh I'm if the, if the voice in your head is um, I'm preempting feeling anxious I'm I feel like I'm not going to know anyone they all know each other then you're starting from a negative aren't you really mm-hmm. so I sort of always try and turn that round uh, and just think to myself look I'm here for a couple of days I'm going to meet these people I'm going to enjoy it I'm going to and then I'll go again you know it's yeah. it's, um, it's quite a transitory sort of life in that way. Yeah. Um, 
yeah great well i guess um i've run out of time unfortunately kirsty because we need to wrap things up but i but i i just think one of the uh i think a good way of summarizing because i think there's going to be an interesting comparison is would how would you feel about if i asked you the question of advice for someone who's wanting to go into the acting profession um like your in terms of like basically just advice on your experiences being an actress um and and also your advice for someone who may be going through any mental health issues in your experience as well a good a good comparison to end um in terms of acting uh study hard go to go if you can you don't have to train but it does help it'll give you I, i think it gives you a level of confidence um, you need something else to pull back on. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd done hairdressing or something like that. <laughs> I did look at being a cab driver for a while, but, uh, <laughs> doing the knowledge, but that would have been uh, not not ideal with my driving. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you need something else to pull back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and just keep studying at it. You, I think if you think that you're going to learn acting overnight, it's, it's your job as an actor is to tell the story of the human condition. Yep. So in all its variations so you can't really ever stop learning about it yeah and the craft of how to do that um and then i suppose that that links fairly well into what you, the next question you've asked me because the mental health of actors it, it fluctuates massively because of the insecurity instability of it constant rejection mm-hmm. um yeah. learn as an actor to affirm yourself is the most important thing it makes you easy to work with you're not um needy which nobody has time for um because things are such high, so high pressured, and also it makes auditioning a lot more bearable because you don't often get feedback as to why you won't get a job. So you're being rejected and then ghosted in inverted commas, if you know what I mean by ghosting. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to learn to affirm yourself, which I think is one of the most valuable um, uh, mental health tools that you can have, where you're not looking outside yourself for validation, but you can yeah. be responsible for yourself as an adult, and you can say. Um, I know I can do this or I know I can work harder at this blah 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 um, and I think mental health wise what would I say to somebody who feels like they're struggling um, to find the right person to talk to mm-hmm. don't just start spilling that stuff out here there and everywhere because everyone that you speak to will have their own perspective and it might not be right for you yep. um, to understand as bad as things feel that um, things do dissipate slightly. If you if you make good choices, you speak to someone, you get the right kind of help. It's not um, a life sentence. That's my biggest key. Mm. Is, is when I've been in my most anxious phases of my life, where it feels like it's consuming every single part of you. To remind myself that even though I don't know when it's going to dissipate or end, it will end. Yeah, it's a great line actually. It's not a life sentence. I think that's a great way to. Yeah, end I mean, I, I think I think. It can become so terrifying, especially for me. Anyway, anxiety—I've never had it, but anxiety can become so all-consuming that you just think, "I'm never going to feel calm again." Yeah, um, it's exhausting. Yeah, and actually, just to hold on to, okay, I don't know when that day is going to be that I'm going to feel calm and content, but mm-hmm. it is going to come at some point. It's like with um, me, you know, that people said, oh, we're vulnerable. I mean, to to out, yes, there is a vulnerability there, but that vulnerability can also be a strength and it can lead you on yeah, to do absolutely. other great things. Yeah, and I think to what I would summarise in saying as well, it was so brilliant, the way that it was a good way of saying it about um, seeking, like, not always seeking validation is that we, um, the way that we talk about it on this show is to say that 
um, not to be defined by something. Exactly. Um, I, I, yeah. I, and what I mean is, is that you, I, I felt that in, in when you were talking about acting, is that don't necessarily care about uh, put all your effort into the like aftermath or the or the or the validation, like you said. Actually, enjoy the yeah. process just mm-hmm. as much. Um, and and just so that you shouldn't be defined by something, it's by someone. Yes, exactly. You, the most yeah. important relationship that you have in your life always has to be the one that you have with yourself. Yep. And it's taken me probably till my mid-30s to kind of realise that and mm-hmm. realise that if I do that, then that means I have to take responsibility for myself too. And, yeah. and that's not always easy and it's not always pretty and you have to have some serious conversations with yourself. But if you're always looking outside yourself for somebody or something to make you feel better it's going to be a hard road mm-hmm. yeah you should be able, it's working on you um finding ways to make yourself feel better and not look at external stimuli yeah, all the time or even just yeah. feel content yeah i think i think we chase our generation chases um this idea that actually feeling in you know immense happiness is endorphin is buzz, available yeah. to us constantly yeah. and i don't think it is yeah i think I feeling content is just is okay it's yeah. enough sometimes yeah Absolutely, and um, it makes it um, uh, to, to bond even further with you, Kirsty. I always say to people, I'm 31 now, and it took me, um, I would say, my, my all of my 20s pretty much um, to get over the guilt of of looking after myself. Um, that yeah. was something I had a real problem with, and I'm now amazingly, con- as you were, I think content is a word I never used to like. Content, but I always find myself now when I'm by myself, or or like you know, I, I, or feeling like I need to do something to feel better just for me. Yeah. I've got rid of or, that guilt or I need that I've to had. Do something to someone, or yeah. I need to, I don't know, run ten marathons and uh, yeah. win a gold medal. It's like. Uh, mm. mm-hmm. That's you know, what I should be doing. You're yeah. going to have to win before you actually just sit down and you feel content. Yeah, well, I turned forty last year, and, and I'm just coming to terms with that. So, if you but think as, as Kirsty said, it's an ongoing process. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kirsty. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. We actually yeah, like no, we, it's been really we fun. Thank you. Yeah, we Thank extended you. our show a little bit further because we have the oh, ability okay. to do that. So yeah, it was just nice to chat to you, and um, it's really powerful oh, because um, again. you know, it, it felt like a conversation with you as well, and we weren't throwing questions at you, and it was good just to it's have someone style, talk about it. We prefer discussions rather than like you. Is, so it yeah. feels more intimate. because I talk too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And that I was the roundabout way of what we were trying to tell you. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You are an actor. I needed to learn to be quiet, and now I've ended up being an actor. Well, you know, we'd, ra- we'd rather have that as a guest than someone who doesn't talk enough, so we appreciate <laughs> it. Um, good luck with everything, Kirsty. I know, like, um, yeah, we haven't really yeah. talked about, like, your ongoing. Is there anything you're, you're in, oh. going to be in soon that you can talk about? Or? Uh, yeah, watch. Um, really, one of my favourite jobs last year it starts on February the 7th okay. on BBC 3 I play Man Like Moby okay. oh I really, like that really show fun. yeah that's really cool alright yeah, yeah, so you're yeah, in yeah. that so the second series is coming back oh brilliant fantastic well we'll, ca- we'll, 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 we'll yeah we'll have a look that sounds, that sounds awesome yeah, do it. I love oh, well, the first series yeah yeah cool well continued success Kirsty. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to her and uh, we'll hope Pleasure. to see you very very soon thanks Kirsty. Okay, right. thanks, thanks Kirsty. take care bye bye wow that was awesome yeah, so as we said, sorry we were a bit late. Sorry, it's apologies to Spice if we've annoyed you by going over. We'll play some ads now. Uh, but all it leaves me to say is to 
wrap up this edition of Mentally Sound by saying a huge thank you to the following guests um, to Mia Baranowska uh, from Moving on Time and Weir who was on in October from Moving on Time and Weir which is um, if you're over 18 to go and check out their services to help with um, mental health and physical health barriers that's uh, for you to get in employment they're really good and as I say I'm thinking about using their services um, to Ben West who lost his brother Sam to suicide who talks about um, getting more tra- teachers trained in mental health first aid uh, which we talked about with Rich Faulkner, um, who is the head of policy at Education Support Partnerships. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Because it's it's a learning environment can benefit both teachers and pupils. Yes, I always felt it was us and them, but having those both interviews there, one after the other, showed well, that it can. And be I've like, said, and I've said on this yeah. program a million times that like um, how I got better was to tell my form tutor what was wrong with me, and she dealt with it completely appropriately. Um, and yeah, finally, as you just heard on the phone, Kirsty Dillon, Dillon yeah. um, who's been in Doctors, Emmerdale's, Casualty, Holby City, and is in that BBC Free program on Mad about, Fre- Mad about that, yeah, yeah, in February. And she was on to talk about her Huffington Post article, which you saw, yeah. um, you know, and talked about our dad and whatnot and our upbringing. Um, fantastic show. Um, uh, it's 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 felt very intense, uh, very <laughs> draining, but in a really really good way. And I hope anyone listening to this agrees. As we mentioned right at the beginning of the show, it's at underscore mentally sound. Um, we're also on Facebook, mentally sound Facebook page, um, where you can check out all the old podcasts that we've done. Um, the most recent podcasts um, are going to be uploaded some very very soon, particularly two weeks ago, as well as um, I know the um, Christmas one. I think I put on Geek Apocalypse's podcast page, so that needs to be put on Mentally Sound's one. But basically, go on um, iTunes, uh, type in Mentally yeah. Sound, and you can subscribe or any podcast uh, directory you so desire, mm-hmm. and you will get the um, podcast shows as soon as they are uploaded. Um, but thank you to Ricky as always. Fantastic you, as sir. always with them uh, with your booking, doing Cheers. a marvelous job. Um, and yeah, um, happy new year, everybody again. I guess we'll say <laughs> that for the last time in January. Uh, hope everyone's. <laughs> Um, dry January is going well with all your New Year's resolutions hope everyone's keeping up yeah. with it and if not don't beat yourself up about it mm-hmm. um, and to play us out I thought this was great it continues my theme of songs Co- making covers? sense no covers? no it's not a cover as far as I know um, it's Starting Over by John Lennon right, okay, and yeah. I thought that's appropriate with everything we've been talking about well we've played a cover of his over. before so yes and, yeah, yeah I love a little John now. Lennon yeah. and I thought you know I did play uh, George Harrison earlier so oh, yeah. you know, a little bit of um, thing so yeah uh, thanks everyone for tuning in to Mentally Sound we'll be back in two weeks time um, in February for our first show of February um, so we'll see you for then and this is Start Nova by John Lennon and thanks guys have a good weekend see you bye bye, bye.